So on this week's episode of uh, Masters of the Craft, you have another one of your friends, um, Steve Higgins. How do you know Steve? I know Steve um, as part of um, part of a group of people in Los Angeles who I used to hang out with. Um, uh, called we were all called Rancheros because. Um, um, and we're trying to figure out if you, I think you're always a ranchero. So if you were a ranchero, then you were a ranchero, you're a ranchero now still, but the ranch doesn't exist. So the ranch was a ranch style house, um, in, uh, uh, in, the uh, uh, North Hollywood, um, in, uh, LA and, um, a lot of aspiring, um, filmmakers and, uh, people of note came out of that space so uh steve lived at the ranch um uh with his brother dave and uh a few other people and then people who hung out at the ranch were um were well me uh paul fee was another match uh, ranch guy um jed apatow was another ranch guy so you might know those names steve um in addition to being a producer on saturday night live which he's done for 20 something years i think um, he also is, uh, the sidekick on the tonight show on uh, Jimmy Fallon show. So he's, so you might be familiar with his face and persona. What was it about having Steve on the show? And what do you think folks should be listening for, uh, or that you were excited about from the interview with Steve? Uh, Steve, the thing about Steve is that, um, he, uh, not only is he, is he very funny and, and, uh, a funny writer and, uh, a funny guy and just a nice compelling guy to listen to but i also thought that being a producer for saturday night live and being at the tonight show he has sort of a front row seat to a lot of creatives and how they work a lot of writers come through snl a lot of uh young comics and actors and all those people come through and so he sees these people come through uh sort of at the beginning of their sort of um careers or at least the beginning beginning of their uh their fame um and i i thought he might have some insight into um how to do that show and how to um and how people think how he thinks about his work um and he has some interesting things to say about snl in particular and about how um he thinks about writing that show and things they have to do on that show um I just thought, yeah, why not um, have a guy on who I, who I like and who I've known for so long and see what he had to say. So we have several ranch people lined up, but he's sort of the first, I think, ranchero to be on the show. All right. This week's episode is with Steve Higgins. Hello, and welcome to You Are a Storyteller, Masters of the Craft, a conversational series with author and filmmaker Brian McDonald. In this episode, Brian is joined by writer, producer, actor, and comedian Steve Higgins, best known for his work as the announcer of The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon and as a writer and producer for Saturday Night Live. Steve shares his journey to becoming one of the most recognized voices in comedy and unpacks how being true to yourself, vulnerable, and kind is the key to true success. I have the luckiest, I'm the luckiest guy in the world job-wise, I feel like, with this job. I don't feel like there's a luckier person. Well, me, I think I'm the luckiest person alive with my, with my job. Yeah. Well, what you, you think so? Yeah, I, think I do. I think I'm the luckiest man alive. 
Well, I think I've the lottery so many times over that it gets embarrassing to talk about. That, that is true. You have you do have two jobs. One job is a career. Right. Right. One job is an end goal for somebody like right. just but you have two of those. I have two. I have two of those end goals. And I married the, the love of my life. I got four great kids. I got a place to stay. I'm, you know what I mean? Everybody's mm-hmm. not wood healthy. So it's like. Whoo. Okay. Yeah. And I actually, my, one of my strong memories of you hanging out is uh, when you said that if you could get a job working in LA, I mean, in uh, New York show business job, it'd be the that greatest. Sli- yeah. No, my whole life. I wanted as long as I can remember, I wanted to, I wanted to do live TV in New York. Really? Like, but I didn't think I'd ever be on SNL. I thought it'd right. be like, you know, cause you dream when you dream, you don't dream reality. You dream like, Oh, I'm right. I'm on the show for your show of shows or oh, right. like that, you know, like whatever's you know, around at your drinking yeah. two plane and bagels and, you know, living the Jewish lifestyle of a writer. This is interesting actually talking about your, your, uh, your dreams of wanting to do have a live television. Uh, jo- I, I think I had some of those ideas myself, not quite the same, but some of them. Um, and then later when I found out about the live, um, uh, live dramas that Petichevsky and all those people used to write, I'm like, that's the life, like being one of those. I would still like to be one of those guys. No. And also like radio or was radio. Was right. Oh yeah. Cause then that would be like, that was the dream radio. Yeah. Cause like you could be anywhere at any time. You didn't have to ask anybody. You could do it the same day. Yeah. It's all, everything I wanted to do, oddly enough, all nexus, you know, mm-hmm. come together in Saturday Night Live. Is that it's, true? Yeah, because you don't have to, it's like, it's, as I tell hosts when they come in, it's like what you thought show business was before you were in show business. Huh. Or you think of an idea. Yeah. On Monday, you write it up, you know, thing on Tuesday, you write up Tuesday night, Wednesday it gets picked by, by Saturday, it's it's the set is there, the costumes, the wigs, the hair, the, the stuff that is so amazing. The beards are better than movie beards. The wigs are better than the costumes are. Everything is exquisite mm-hmm. you know, and it's too good. Like when we switched <laughs> to HD, we didn't have, we only thing we had to do was cut the lace on the wig a little tighter. Really? We were already too good. You know what I mean? We didn't need to be that good. Like, you know, you've seen, TV is a two dimensional medium. You right. can have but it's a it's a hybrid between theater and TV. So the sets look like you go, oh wow, where'd they get that wood? Oh, it's painted. Wow, you know I and mean? it's also is it because the the theater community is so strong that when they started the show, that's where they pulled from? Or? I think it was born just when I want it to be real. I don't want it to be skits and goof offs. I want it to be like you give change, you put flowers in vase. You know what I mean? Vase. Yeah. You can't. There's no. It's like nothing gets a pass of like. Oh, it's just sketch reality. There is no sketch reality. It's all like, well, what human would stand like that? Who okay. would do that? And again, mm-hmm. if you build a world that's all goofy, then that's a goof. Then you fall right. into the goofy world. Right. But, you know, it's all, it's like, it's everything. The attention to detail is very uh, right up my wheelhouse. Okay. So, but let's, I want to go back to, um, because you, you have, uh, you know, a, a funny family. Mm-hmm. You have other people in, in the show business in your family. Um, and uh, in fact, I'm, uh, I think Al's going to be on the show. So uh, your brother, Al. Uh, so let's talk about where that, where do you think that came from? I, well, I think both my mom and dad were funny. Okay. And their families were funny. 
Okay. You know, and my aunts are funny and my uncle. Okay. So humor was a very uh, good commodity growing okay. up. You okay. You know what I mean? They got out of trouble. It's how you, you know, if you can make somebody laugh, then you can't get in that much trouble about it. Right, 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 right. There was no screaming and there was no yelling in my house. There was like, take your shoes off, that kind of thing. But no, there was no screaming fights, which okay. now I understand is just as bad as having too many fights. You know? Oh, right, yeah. Eat. yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> is, that, is that what you did instead? Yeah, you think? It's okay. Um, <laughs> uh, sure, sure. It all worked out. It all, yeah. Just, you just, so laugh, laughing was the, it was more important than music or anything. You know what I mean? The co- comedy was more, Monty Python was just as important as the Beatles. Right. Because, you know, in a way, but not, right. maybe not as much because the Beatles were this Beatles were, right. you know, right. but they were very super important. And my mom would let us stay up late to watch shows. She, if there was like, I watched the first, I was I think 12 uh, or 13 when the first Saturday Night Live came on. And my mom let me stay up and watch it. She told, I think you, you might like this show. She told us about wow. it. I think I, I'm not sure if I saw the first one. I may have seen the second one. Mm -hmm. I remember hearing about it in school. Yeah. On Monday. I think I might've seen the second one, but yeah. Um, The most most vivid memory I have of that is watching Gil Scott Heron do what's the word Johannesburg with that. uh Remember that with a shaker thing, just going, what is this? (laughs) Oh my God. I've never, Oh my God. You know, it was like, the thing of like it was leading the people like no we're going to tell you what's cool it's okay trust us come on with us right yeah it's that yeah and i mean it really changed things i mean before that really carol burnett was probably right right that was probably which is nothing against carol burnett because no oh my god no nothing against carol burnett but it was it was was a different it was more like and nothing against dean martin and his show when he'd wear like an apron over his tuxedo with, right. You know, which there's, yeah. you know, so you have to get older to appreciate. At the time, you're going like, ah, I don't want, you know, you're so, you, the things that you hate as comedy, you realize when you're older, you were just jealous of. You know, <laughs> everybody going like, oh, I hate this comedian. Well, he's not successful anymore. I don't hear you complaining about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you hated his success, not him per se, really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Although I did love Dean Martin. I did love me some Dean Martin. His show. Oh killed you know i i don't know if he rehearsed he didn't seem to he no, just they showed up just watch greg garrison rehearse it and then he would go and do it right yeah he didn't know his lines half the time right. <laughs> yeah that, but it was like and they said that he had apple juice instead of whiskey in his drink right so. yeah that's what i, I heard he it's like you can't perform sloshed yeah he i guess he didn't he hardly drank he had to all. come up with a character after being with martin and lewis you know right. he had to go, well who am i when i'm in front of an audience by myself yeah that must have been weird to make that transition oh i think so but he's the one who he just went i'm done yeah that italian thing of like you're dead yeah yeah they didn't i i I think it was the last couple of movies they made they didn't even talk to each other that's what i heard yeah 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 i don't know how you do that no yeah and i think abbott and costello had a similar relationship sometimes where they wouldn't talk to each other but they would act. Yeah. 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 Well, come on the screen. Life's too short. It just seems ridiculous. And you're successful. It's like, we're on top of the world. We're Martin and Lewis. How big are we? We have to make it hard on ourselves. You Mm. know? So, yeah, I know that uh, when they were doing the original Star Trek, that um, Shatner and Nimoy 
or at least their agents were fighting over lines and this person has more lines than my person. And so the reason those characters are friends on the show and share so much screen time is so they can have close to equal amounts of time on screen. That's as the actors. That's why they became buddies oh. on the show. <laughs> it worked out. Yeah, God bless. God it bless. worked out. But worked that, out. No one, that's a good thing about it too. No one would know that. What's right, yeah. not obvious, it's seamless. It's it's like you go, oh no, I just accept this as reality. Yeah. I don't have to worry about the machinations of it. <laughs> exactly. What? Sometimes that's the best stuff, strangely. Sometimes yeah. this weird, you know, um, like how Laurel and Hardy got together. Do you know that story? Was it just that that Max Sennett just went, okay, you and you? Yeah, because Stan had quit Stan had quit performing because he never had a character that hit. He made all these movies right. and he never had a character that hit. And he knew Charlie Chaplin, but Charlie Chaplin wouldn't help him out with his career because um, they had worked together at uh, Fred, Fred and Fred Carno's group. Right. That group and, uh, yeah. And then uh, so uh, Stan was just writing gags and then they needed somebody to be in this movie. And they're like, be in this movie with this guy. And he's like, I don't, I'm done. I don't want to do that. We've talked him into it. I think it was 40 or something when that happened. Oh, man, I bet so. I said, did you see that movie with Steve Coogan and uh, yeah, yeah. Riley? Yeah. The only thing I didn't like about it is I wish you kind of wanted a, a, a like a trailer beforehand, a primer for kids to go, here's why they were so funny. Right, I know. I mean, to you and I watching, they should be, dan- you know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the t- trail of the Lonesome Pine is like, oh yeah. my God, that's beautiful. They're doing it so well, but... And we're even older than we are. Right. You know I mean? Right. Like, no, it's true. It's for it, our grandparents. You know what I mean? But Laurel yeah. Hart means, you know, same as W.C. Fields. Right. You know, it means something to you because you go, no, that's where it came from. Yeah. It's hard. What I've noticed is that when something's influential, it's really hard to explain to people who came later because yeah. when it's influential, that means everybody copied it. And so right. they'll see something so and they came, go, yeah. Yeah, and they go, oh, that's cliche. It's like, it's not cliche. It's the first time anybody did that. That's why you should, like, if kids, I share, like, my kids, I would go like, okay, let's listen to these songs. Okay, now listen to this song. Yeah. This is the same time. Like, I love playing, like, the last uh, Axel Stordahl, Frank Sinatra song, which mm-hmm. is, like, old, like, you know, if I could go, you know, that, those kind yeah. of, like, guilty teen Sinatra. Yeah. And then the guy at Capitol, who I forget his name, was like, Nobody would hire Sinatra. And he goes, you know, and he, everybody goes, he was just a teeny bopper star. And he goes, no, this guy's a true genius. He's pitch, he's pitch per, he knows, he's a genius. You're crazy. So he goes, well, I want to work with Billy Mays. I want to work with uh, uh, Axel. I want to work with, uh, you know, whoever. Was goes, Bill Evans in that group? Bill yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. And he goes, well, yeah. why don't you work with this guy, Nelson Riddle? I never heard of Nelson, Nelson Riddle. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so the first song he did was like World on a String. And it's just like the difference is like night and day. And it's like this giant. And you go, see, it, it's so rare. You can go, here's where the switch happened. Yeah. Right there. I've heard that people who were on uh, the Ed Sullivan show when the Beatles came on, there were people, other people on the show, people forget. Right. <laughs> they had yeah, to follow the Beatles. Mason or something like that or Rodney Day. It's like some comedian was on too, wasn't he? Yeah, so, I think so. Of our world. But I think there was a, a, a singer on or a couple of singers and they were backstage and the Beatles were on stage and they said, oh, it's all different right now. It's all different now. Like, yeah. right. Yeah. You could tell yeah. like, oh, we're old now. 
Like, I, I don't know what that would have been like, but it sounds scary. <laughs> yeah. Like the thing is there, you, you think, Oh, there's going to be a day when you don't know the top 10. Right. Oh, it's not going to be a day when I don't know the billboard top. Oops. Well now. Yeah. You know, what's weird. There's, there's a time when you, when you know, well, there's a time when you don't know, cause your parents are talking about stars. You don't know. And right. Like what, what are you talking about? And then you start to know that. And then there's a time when you're hip like in your twenties right. where and you, you know, know all the words to all the songs, you know, and everything albums. And then, and then and you, you get late forties, fifties. And you're like, you don't know at all. Like that person's famous. I don't know. I don't know who they are. I've never heard of them. And you kind of don't care. That's yeah. what I, <laughs> that's the other thing. Like, well, I, don't about, I, I keep up with it for work. Sure. You know what I mean, like you go look at this and you look at that, but it still is like you go, Oh no, it's now you just help other people's ideas come to fruition mm-hmm. opposed to your ideas because your ideas are that of a 56 year old man. Right. Where you go like, well, how about you 27 year old kid? Let me help you. Is this what you want? Well, let me right. help you produce that and get it right. So it's your vision because people don't know what they want really. Right. You know I mean? Like when you're beginning. So you go like, how about this? Here's a shot here. This could go here. This, what if it's like this? What if you did it over here? And, and, you know, you go like, is this what you want? Is this what you were trying to say in the beginning mm-hmm. before people started rewriting it? Like, you know, that's what my job is to get out of their way. Clear right. a path for them to shine. Mm-hmm. They can do their thing. It's because you go, you can't. Well, you yeah. can't be that. You, you know, you just yeah. can't be that. Yeah. It's, and it's interesting because you watch people, particularly in comedy, I would say, because comedy changes so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, particularly in comedy, you see um, people get out of touch and it looks awful. As Jerry Lewis got older and he was still like, eh, it's right, like right. it didn't fit anymore. <laughs> like, you know, when he was in his 20s, sure, you can be that guy. Right. Um, you ever watch like Leave it to Beaver and it's cool when he's young, but as he gets older, it <laughs> yeah, just it seems so. like. Uh, should you really be acting that way? Yeah. 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 The younger he is, the better that show is. Oh, the show. Yeah. And Eddie Haskell is genius. Eddie Haskell yeah. is genius. He's one of the best characters that's ever been on TV. Him and uh, him and Barney Five are my two favorite characters. Uh, and Larry Tate. Oh, <laughs> Larry Tate used to live around the corner from me in North Hollywood. Did he really? Yeah. Oh, David White. Yeah. It was so great. Just, yeah. like, just perfect. Yeah. <laughs> He would fire Darren every week. Exactly. Well, he would, he would dangle partner in front of him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to be a partner. Then he would and fire. they were pure full on alcoholics. Well, and yeah, they would make it a triple. It was right. their, <laughs> not a single drink. <laughs> well, Lou Grant was an alcoholic on TV. Yeah. yeah and later when, when he became the drama show. Yeah, <laughs> I always thought it was an interesting move. Kids will love it. kids will love talking about Lou Grant when they go. You know what? We're gonna take that more show. Yeah, and make him an editor, but of a hard hitting paper, not a TV show anymore, but a paper. Right, and, and it won't be a comedy anymore. No, it's, it's gonna be drama. hardcore drama talking about like how bad the Shah of Iran's dictatorship is. You know, what I mean? yeah, it's like I don't know. There's, Where did I miss this? Where, I don't think there's ever been a spinoff like that from a no, comedy to a drama. I, I don't think so. I mean, you have like, uh, what's the dude from the Hill Street Blue? Uh, Hill Street Blues. Which guy? You talking about actors or writers or? Okay. Yeah, um, Dennis Franz. 
Oh, Dennis Rand. Yeah. You know, isn't he like the longest? Because he was on like six different shows. Okay. You know? mm-hmm. He was on, started at NYPD Blue, then went to something else and did something else. And mm-hmm. but he was the same dude. Right. Oh, right. Right. The same world. It was just right. like different worlds. It yeah. Wasn't, it wasn't like Frasier became a, a serious drama after Cheers. Right. You know. Yeah. But yeah, that's a, such a weird transition. And the only reason it went off the air was popular. Lou Grant. You know why it went off the air? Because wow. uh, because uh, Ed Asner was very political and wasn't quiet about it. And the network's like, you have to be quiet about this. And he wouldn't do it. Oh, nope. yeah. But yeah, it was. I don't know how many seasons, one or two, whatever. But uh, yeah. it wasn't I, long. I watched, I watched the, it, too. Oh, yeah. I watched it, too. Um, actually, it was the best of the Mary Tyler Moore show spinoffs. That's true. That's yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. And there were a ton of them. I might, here's my imitation of uh, Mason Adams. Miss Penshaw. <laughs> I like, this, this this whole show is for people who are 55, 56 yeah, years old. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, of like broad humor. You go like, I'm. A, this is for an audience of one. <laughs> so let's. Okay. So I want to get back to the origins of the of uh, your um. You're thinking about comedy. Were you thinking about? Did stories matter to you much or just the idea of show business matter to you? Show more? business matter, but stories are something you came across. You realized that you uh, had an affinity for. And again, for me, it came from detail. Okay. You know what I mean? So like the more detailed something was, the more story it had. Right. And okay. The more, the more truth it was. Cause it was like, it was all the, it was like, Everything comes together in your comedy magic because I loved magic tricks when I was a kid. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, I see you're doing a magic trick. You're creating this fake world. And the thing you mentioned that doesn't ever come up again is to is the sleight of hand of going. Here's this world. This world is deeper than what you're seeing here, making it better and making your brain absorb it more. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So the more detail and the more real it was, the more you get sucked in the story, you know, it's like, right. And so it was all about the, when it was seamless, you know what I mean? When okay. it, it unfolded, it was like just a, such a satisfying feeling. You go, Oh, that's what that is. I mean, mm-hmm. they really, it was your book that put it all in words for me, you know, okay. think was the thing that I went, Oh yes, of course. I didn't realize that. Yes. You know, which you to, which again you take with you, mm-hmm. like in like in those you know remember those celebrity Jeopardy sketches? Uh huh. I would write those with other people, and always the the dirty phrase would be a joke, so that your brain would go, "Oh, that reason that crazy thing was in there," so Sean Connery could make a joke about having sex with Trebek's mom. Right. But when it comes back again. You're you're clean in the same with Mr. Miyagi with the, you know, when Daniel San gets the fly, mm-hmm. you you, it's a, you think it's a joke. So your brain goes joke. I don't I don't have that's not, you know, that's right. Just, that's deep within me, which is right. E- either you and again, either you accept that or you don't. Right. And a lot of people don't accept that. And it's just all gloss. And there was nothing fun about that to me. You know, mm-hmm. there was nothing fun about just gloss. Even right. when it's a sketch about just getting hit in the balls. It's always more fun when there's a deep 
when there's a story around it, you know, right. what I mean? when there's a where, where there's a setting that makes a, a larger world. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's not. Um, the story or else stand up with the most popular thing of comedy on TV. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what I mean, if it's just about jokes and not right. about characters and stories, then it would just be, well, here's, you know, here's a, you know, non sequiturs strung together. Right. But that's what's interesting about that is that stand up had an evolution where it became, although there were some stand ups like um, Bob Newhart and there were monologists. Right. But a lot of comics were just joke people. Mm-hmm. They just joke after joke after joke after joke. Uh, and sometimes that that still works, depending on the comic. I don't know anybody who's doing it right now. I think the last person I can think of was Mitch Hedberg. I was about to say, yeah, yeah, great, it's great, and it's also that's just as valid, right? You know, I'm not saying that's not valid. I'm yeah, yeah, that's, great, that's an art that is different than story art, right? It's, you know, it's not saying it's bad or because I love it. I love Mitch Hedberg and yeah. Stephen Wright and people who yeah. do just stuff. But when you're talking long form of thing, yeah, you know, like. The Simpsons, if if Homer didn't love Bart, it would have been pulled off the air. There wasn't story underneath the gags. Right. No one could buy a Bart Simpson t-shirt. No, it's true. And they don't realize it, but it's deep within them. They go, oh, there's yeah. something I like. Yeah, well, there's a, it grounds things. Yeah. It grounds things. I think that when somebody's doing something like what Mitch Hedberg did or, or a comic like that, what they, it's more their personality. It's not even the jokes right. alone. It's this person telling those jokes. Yes. And Wright had a way of doing it. Mr. Mm-hmm. Hedgeberg had a way of doing it. Henny Youngman had a way of doing it. Right. It's the same thing. Yeah. Right. Um, Rodney Dangerfield did that. Yeah. Right. But it, but their personalities become the thing underneath. Well, the personalities become the story. I right. Think. I think you know so, I mean? too. It's the underneath of the thing that makes you somehow more attracted to it. And it means yeah. because it's hard to. You know. It's like usually, you know, you know, because like, and again, story skills and gag skills and joke skills are all different skills. Some some people have them all. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Have one or two, you know. But it's like the ones you don't have, I think, are the ones you're ama- like. I don't have joke skill. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I can think of gags and things like that, and and stories and and character things, and things would be funny if this person said this thing about this thing, right? But not just update jokes or clean lines of like, here's a, just a pow, bam joke. It's like, I'm always amazed by it. It's amazing when people can do that. Well, like a tell and people like that, you know what I mean? It's like, you just go, what, where did you, yeah. how did you come up with that? Yeah. I remember when I was working with Tishon Shannon for a week on something and mm-hmm. Tishon was so good. It just, a joke would come to him fully yeah. formed like yeah. this perfect little thing. Hey man, why don't you put that here? Just put <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right here. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, did he have any bears around it? Did he write any jokes and stuff about guys in bear suits? I was one of Tishon's favorite. Uh, <laughs> oh, <big man>. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I I remember we we went to see a movie, and it was a bad movie. And then on stage that night, he had I don't know ten good minutes about that movie that. He did, I know he didn't write down. I was with him all day. Like, yeah. it was crazy. No, Tishon was great to work with. He was a, yeah. he's a good dude. I just talked to him like a couple months ago. Oh, you did? Before COVID. Whenever the, oh, okay. When was that? Man, who wrote that sketch? Who did that? Yeah. Um, 
good. What's he doing? This is just he's now us talking as people. He's in Texas. Okay. He's in Texas hanging out with his wife and just doing projects and things like that. He loves Okay. It. All right, cool. Good for him. I'm glad he's he's having a good move to Texas, huh? Yeah, he loves it. All right. Where in Texas? I think Houston. I think Houston. Okay. Sure. All right. I have a that cousin. Houston. NASA. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So I think they went back to Houston. Oh, okay. All right. All right. There you go. I okay. think that's where I met him in Houston. Oh, what were you, what were you working on? Uh, it was, uh, uh, I was doing, um, there was a club there I was working. And he was, it was me, T. Sean, and Steve Harvey. Oh, see, because probably they hired, because everybody thought T. Sean was black. That's the funny. That, that's what I said. I said to Steve Harvey, I go, if you had to pick <laughs> Brian McDonald, Steve Harvey, T. Sean, T. Period. Sean, yeah. uh, who do you think is the black person? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said that at the time. Um, I actually told Steve Harvey to move to L.A. because he wasn't famous or anything. I'm like, dude, move to L.A. You're, you'll you'll be a. Do you think I should move there, Brian? You think I? I think so. Yeah. I think so, Steve. He, he's yeah. a What a machine. God bless him. That guy works really hard. I never saw a comic work like that. No, and also he, I think he just did cut out one of his seven shows that he does. You know what I mean? He does, and they're all like, they're all his gigs. <laughs> right, yeah. His family Feud is his TV show, his radio show, his talk show. His, I think he writes a column. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God bless. I, I never, I literally never saw a comic work so hard. It's, yeah, I find it hard to get up in the morning, let alone. We were we were staying in the in the condo that the club had put us in, and uh, Chishan and I would wake up and Steve would be gone, because Steve would go to the town wherever and find out where people were hanging out and talk to people and make friends with people and invite people to the show and like that's what he, he's like. I got to get up in the morning and work. Like that's what he would do. Like bless him, man. I, it was, I it wish was, I had a little bit more of that. Not too yeah. much, just a little bit. Just yeah. A little. And he cut my hair. He had his own clippers that he'd bring with him. And he's like, dude, you need a haircut? Cut my hair. On top of everything else. Uh, so, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, anyway, um, where were we? So, okay. So we're talking about story and how uh, we think it, uh, how you think um, it gives something. I said grounded things. And maybe that's the, uh, so, um, so when you started working now, you, you were doing, um, you had an, a kind of improv group, but I wouldn't call it an improv group, right? No, because I, I never saw you do any improv. Right? No, we did improv, <laughs> but if we did like we did like game improv. Okay, you know right. What I mean, the foreign language or okay, right? Yeah, leave the room and think of you know what I mean. A occupation. We you know I'm sure there were games that other people did, but we just picked up to fill out an hour and a half. Okay, you know? so how did that start? When I when I met you, uh, don't quit your day job was you, your brother Dave. Mm-hmm. And and Gruber Dave, Dave Allen Dave Gruber Allen as he's now known. Well, right? it started it started in Des Moines uh, when comedy was hot, like in seventy nine, eighty one, around there. You know, whenever that was. And Dave and like Bannis was there at that that scene. Oh yeah, Steve Bannis. Yeah, Dave and Willie Farrell and um, not Will Farrell, but Willie Farrell for, and Ben. You these dudes are still performing in Des Moines, uh, and who are super funny dudes. Uh, they started a club at a dinner theater and they did comedy there. And Dave started a group with, I think him, Patty Ryan, Gary Fox and Gruber, a dude we knew from like doing theater in, in Des Moines. And then I joined in like after I left college, like in 83, maybe. Okay. Dave, I want to join your group. And he goes, okay. Okay. 
So it was all Dave. Dave was the whole impetus behind any show business. And Which so Dave? Did, Your yeah, brother Dave? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We okay. Moved to, let's go. What? I don't want to move to LA. I want to move to New York. TV's in LA. Let's go. So we all moved to LA and then, okay. then we worked there and did colleges and worked at UCLA as stagehands. So we ate and lived at the ranch, you know? Right. And, uh, Let's talk about the ranch because uh, I talked a little bit about it with, uh, with uh, Weinstein. Um, but uh, the ranch is probably going to come up from time to time because I have a lot of ranch people uh, booked. So uh, can you explain the ranch? The ranch was a, I think it was like $600 a month, $800 a month, okay. something like that for a one, two, three bedroom house. All right. I, I really should have paid rent at the ranch, by the way. Yeah. I think rent was like $80 a month. You know uh -huh. what I mean? Had yeah. So many people living there. <laughs> it was pretty much, the, it was really, uh, it was really, I mean, it couldn't have been better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Except for the uh, abject poverty. And not, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, cause we didn't, and remember too, we never, we, we never drank. Right. We never did drugs. We nope. smoked cigarettes and did uh, caffeine and nicotine were our drugs. So we're yeah. like we're yeah. blowing money and cigarettes were cheap back then. Yeah. Uh -huh. And so it was a place where it was Bannis, uh, Mark Fight, uh, Dave and I. Okay. And we moved out, stayed with Bannis because Bannis was already in LA. Okay. And he was in Hollywood and we, he found a place and we all moved there. And okay. then after that, Toby came and Steele came and uh, Ben Eulen moved out for a while. Uh, Scott Taylor, you know, so many people came in and out of the ranch and we right. were just cards all the time and people we met at doing comedy in LA like you and J uh, um, Judd and Feig and Kindler uh, and Madison and Hazel mm -hmm. uh, would all come over and hang out at the ranch because it was just a hangout place. You didn't yeah. have to worry about being clean or there's plenty of room for, you know, it wasn't in an apartment building. It was like you could make noise and goof off in the backyard and, you know, yeah. it was very wholesome. Yeah. It was. It's funny, I, you know, uh, Groove and I went to the ranch when we happened to be in L.A. at the same time. And so we went to the ranch just because we had, you know, let's go. Let's just go yeah. check it out. And we were taking pictures of it in front of it and stuff. And these people came out like, what are you taking pictures of our house for? We're sort of explaining what it was. And they're like, we heard a bunch of college students used to live here. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, kind yeah. of. Yeah. 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 But that's the that's what yeah. they knew that a bunch of rowdy college kids live there. Um, but it, yeah, it, it, a lot of those people went on to be to big, big things at yeah. the ranch. Yeah. Um, you know, Apatow and Feig and you and Jim Mools and a lot of people. Yeah. Um, it was just a good play. It was like, it was like the, uh, I guess you, the uh, Algonquin small table. You know, but again, fun was the coin of the realm. It was the more fun you had, the more, you know, yeah. Playing cards was, and cards were about making jokes. It wasn't about, it was never about playing cards or taking somebody's money. Right. You know what I mean, we'd buy in for five bucks. You remember? Yeah. It was a penny nickel dime. Well, I never played yeah. cards. I just hung out while you guys it's played cards. But we did. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't yeah. play cards. My my dyslexia makes it hard for me to play cards. Oh, I bet so. Yeah, because I can't remember what suits. What, like what? What does this make? I can't. 
hang yeah. on to it. So I'm like, and then ah. you can't look at the chart. <laughs> right, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> you can't ask people. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I just hung out and had coffee. No, we um, had fun. We did have fun. It was a, it was really fun. And I don't know how many years the ranch lasted, but it, I think it was from 84 to 89. That sounds right. Yeah. Because in 89, you guys got the show. Higgins yeah. Boys we moved out to, yeah, to New York for, for comedy channel to do Higgins boys and Gruber. Yeah. And that's when ranch left. Yeah. But the ranch went with you. Well, because it was with Dave and I, but Rich, it was Rich Kenny was there at the time, and I, and uh, fight was still there. But every, yeah, everybody moved out, and we all and but you know, I did. but I mean the ranch went with you because your show yes was it was a set was a recre- recreation of the ranch, which was built by uh, Leo Yashimura, who is the set one of the set designers on SNL. Oh, really? Yeah. There you go. So you know what I mean. It all comes around. Sure. So okay. So. Um, so you had your group and you guys did, uh, some sketches that I saw a lot of over and over again. Not, not we a lot of new stuff. Yeah. <laughs> not a lot of new stuff. Every now no. and then would, yeah. Um, now put something in. Yeah. But not a lot of new stuff, but, but then, uh, you, you got into a bigger, another level of show business and stuff had to get produced more frequently. Mm-hmm. Was there something that you learned about how to do that? I think, yeah, it was just, it's those, it's those lessons that are no, that you know already. You know what I mean? Cause you always think there's a secret, right? <laughs> yeah. But the secret is you just sit down and do it. You know what yeah. I mean? That's and hard to explain is, to people. No. And it's cause they want to know what the, you know, and they don't want it. To, it's luck and being at the right place at the right time and just willing to work harder than anybody else. Yeah. And so it's just like, and also realizing that, you know, oh, this idea, letting the idea be itself, you know what I mean? Like I started writing this thing, but it turned into this thing. Mm-hmm. So I got to get rid of the first thing <laughs> right, sure. that I thought it was because now it's this thing because it's its own entity mm-hmm. and it's not mine. It's not, it's like when you make a joke, the joke isn't yours. It's, it's like in the ether. It's like, right own thing and it's everybody's joke now so it's like it's like you just learn to let go kill your darlings as was that billy wilder who said that uh i think it was uh it was somebody before that so (laughs) i don't remember who it's i don't think it was dorothy parker but it was somebody like that yeah just like get cut that out that doesn't work and get rid of the fact yeah you do your do you do your time with your like to the intricacies of whatever then you go no 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 put the intricacies behind this bigger thing yeah. The intricacies are mustard. They right. make a hot dog better, but they're not the hot dog. You yeah. don't forget the hot dog, you know, and that's a thing that people get lost in the weeds when they're. Can you explain that? Can you unpack that a little bit and talk about that? I think I know what you mean, but I, I want to explain well, it's like it all this stuff that makes you when you're when you're in, into comedy, usually when you're you're younger, the things that you love are those tiny details, the precise things that, you know, you'll share with other nerd comedians. Right. But the thing that it's about is not that. Mm-hmm. That's there for the love of the art, for the right. comedian to put in, you know, and it'll be th- the thing itself, whatever it's about, The Simpsons is about a family. Right. You know what I mean? It couldn't just be a series of gags strung together. It's this is the thing. 
the the tiny intricate details which as young you just want to go i want this to be the forefront of it right no that can't be you have to put that in the background i would always say it's like it's like you you're doing pure comp because as i would always say my right people don't like pure comedy it tastes bitter to them so uh-huh. you have to sugar it and you're doing your pure comedy and you have to throw stones at people so they don't come and attack your the story <laughs> of pure comedy so you need jokes and gags and big things Mm-hmm. That people de- and you also need a door to allow smart people who have a guardian against laughing at fart jokes or or getting oh, sure. all, you have to think of something to let them come in to get past that sentinel mm. that stops them from laughing at silly and stupid things sure that's the thing i learned too about doing that exact thing making it so that there's a gateway so that they don't, one, so people don't feel dumb. You don't put enough stuff in there for, where you make the audience feel dumb that they don't know it. Right. The structure underneath it that is it supports the dirty joke or the, you know, thing, the silly name or the, you know, getting hit in the balls or whatever goofy right. thing, you, whatever sophomore and puerile thing you want to do, mm-hmm. you know, which is my cup of tea. <laughs> so, um, when you are working with somebody who is is new to the show, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe you're talking to somebody who's just starting out or whatever, I notice certain um, traps that people fall into on a regular basis, uh, and I also notice things that are very hard to unteach. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you can you think of anything like that? Do you have you seen any patterns over the years of new people well, coming into the show? It's everybody does. The, it's a weird thing because you have the old you has to die mm-hmm. to become the new you, the mm-hmm. you that's on TV. But that doesn't mean you're no longer you. Mm-hmm. But you can't have those. The, sometimes the the habits that got you there are not the habits that are going to take you forward. But okay. you can't erase all of it or else there's a reason you got hired. Right. So everybody okay. has to become their own person and they rely on, you know, like everybody, you, you don't give somebody enough jokes, they'll find them. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, so you have to make sure that they're written for in a way you, you want to make the, them shine. And, mm-hmm. and if you put people shine and you can figure out what's the best thing about them, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, but but it's you have to go. What makes you you, and what are you great at? Let's do that, and then expand on it a little bit. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It, make that grow a little bit more. We don't have to. You you don't have to be so out of your comfort zone every time. You right. know what I mean? Because it really is like it's like school. You're not yourself on the first day of school. Everybody would hate you. You know what I mean? You have to reserve, you have to slowly introduce yourself to the class and see when it's good to do a joke or when it's, right. when it's appropriate to make that gag at the teacher or, you know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. it's, and it, nowadays it takes even longer, you know, now it takes years for people to get to know somebody and then they forgive them and they go, Oh, I trust this person. So a joke that they do season four wouldn't have worked when they were season one. Okay. You know, so it's like making people aware of what they're good at and helping them get to, Again, what their point of view is. You know sure. what I mean? What is your humor? What do you think is great? Right. You know what I mean, what is funny about you? And, you know, it's always that here's what you love. Here's what, you know. Right. Who wants. So uh, concentrate on that area, the Venn diagram of your talent, of 
because we already have them. Right. We already have the show. You know what I mean? So you coming on, what do you bring? You know what I mean? All the new people, you just go, what do you bring? What can you do? And then they find their way and you help them through encouragement. And again, you don't want to get in their way or give them ideas. Mm-hmm. You might go, hey, here's a tiny note on this sketch or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you don't want to get your stink all over it. So, well, then you should have written that sketch. Right. Yeah. I remember there was uh, when Steven Spielberg was producing Poltergeist. Um, for whatever reason, he was very worried. He was making E.T. at the same time. He was very worried about Poltergeist. So he was basically on the set every day telling the guy how to direct his movie. <laughs> and so uh, except for the like the last sequence, he wasn't there for that. But everything else he was there for. And uh, later he said that was a huge mistake. He didn't let the guy make his movie. Like, why yeah. did I even hire a guy to direct the movie? About right, it? exactly. Why, why, you know, if you're going to cut your own hair, cut it. Right. Um, you know. But having said that, what kinds of things, how do you get out of the way and how do you encourage people to bring themselves? Is this the same thing with writers, new writers as well? Is this the yeah, same? Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all. I, I tend to just go find your joy, whatever you find joy in other people will find joy in just because you love it so much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it may not work and it may, you don't know what's going to work, but you can know if it's good. Right. You know what I mean? You can yeah. know if it starts out well, because it comes from a place of truth and not mm-hmm. truth as in like re, not facts. Right. You know, because facts are the killer of comedy. Unless right. you're doing a historical sketch, then you, then right. I, you should stay with the facts and right. But you want to make it so that it's like, what is your truth? What are you trying to say with this? You know, mm-hmm. what I mean? what you, you know it's like new, new cast members will come in and they'll go, I have an idea about me, about a guy who, who sells hats at a hat factory or whatever. They'll, and you'll go, okay, well, what do you do that's funny in this sketch? What? They come at it from a premise point of view. Oh, go, okay. Don't, you should come at it from where do you score in this sketch? Right. You know what I mean? Where's where do you where are you funny? Where can other people be funny? Because a writer will help you structure it. Right. Help you get there and make it so that it it makes sense and there's other jokes for other people. But you should start off with a thing. Oh, this goofy thing I do brings me joy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this thing. Oh my God, that's great. I love that. Mm-hmm. How do we find a way for that to get in here? You know. Sure. And then just helping them get there by being encouraging and, you know, checking in on them and making sure they're okay. And, and when it gets picked, going to like block, like watching the blocking and going, are you sure you want this? Maybe this would be better for you. Or, mm-hmm. you know, what are you trying to say here? Cause like the set, I don't understand the set, you know, are enough gags in there. And if there's anything, and usually it's, it's, you wait for stuff, bigger things to give the notes on because everything else is a lateral move. Right. Unless you think it's going to make it better or that might not work if you do that. Or you go, mm-hmm. make sure that this is in a two shot. Because if sure. you're just ping-ponging and they're, and they're over here, over here, this dialogue isn't going to play. So make right. sure they end up together. Right. So you can have a, a two shot where you can pop into a close-up, but you don't want it to be, oh, E, ah, oh, you know what I mean? And then your brain doesn't know where to go. Right. No, you know, yeah. I mean, things like that that you just learn after doing TV for 30 whatever years. Right. Um, and we skipped uh, the bit, but you were writing for John Stewart for a while. Mm-hmm. Right? Not the successful show. Not the Daily Show, but the, the John Stewart show. The John Stewart show, yeah. Right. Uh, did Al also write on that show? Yeah, Al wrote on that. And Andrew Steele wrote on that. Okay. Uh, and Brian uh, Payne wrote on that. Okay. And uh, Doug Benz. No, no. 
Did Doug Benson? No, Doug Benson wrote on. Uh, no, maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking of Trashed. That was my first show. I ever was a head writer on was Trashed. And that was this. That was Posehn, Benson, Ned Rice. That was a great. That was a great staff. But John Stewart showed. I knew John from the Comedy Channel because he wrote for Rachel Sweet. Oh, okay. And he had opened up for us a couple of times. Okay. And so I just loved him, and he we loved. Him. I still love him to this day. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, "Do you want to come out and help me? I'm going moving from MTV to Paramount. Mm-hmm. Do you mind coming out and helping me for like a few weeks?" I go, "Sure." And that turned into two years. Okay. You know, and so my uh, then then when that ended. Well, what did that teach you, by the way? That taught me, I think that truly taught me the importance of of a performer, of casting, of of letting the performer shine. And again, you getting out of the way of the performer. Because John would make up stuff in the interviews that was funnier than anything we could have written and people thought was written. Okay. I mean, it it was so... You know, just it was just amazing to watch. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It was just like, what? Are you kidding me? How did you cut? You know what I mean? You'd be dumbstruck every third show. There'd be something so brilliant. You'd go like, how the did you come up with that? Yeah. You know, and and just being and being kind and being sweet is just you don't have to be a dickhead, right? You know what I mean? And if you don't mm-hmm. like somebody, you don't have to be mean to them. Just fire them or say, you know what? I'm sorry, it's not working out. You sure. Don't have to torture them. Right. You know what I mean? And then let the people you trust thrive and, and trust them to do weird things or do strange stuff and, and take you a little farther. Mm-hmm. I remember, I can't remember who it was. It might've been Dick Cavett or somebody. And they were writing for, I think for Johnny Carson or whoever it was. Um, some host, I don't know who they're writing for. It might've been Steve Allen, but whoever they're writing for. They, uh, they insisted that they do a joke. They were like, this joke is funny. You have to do this joke. And there was an argument about it. And the host was like, I don't think this joke is going to work. And they, the, the writer fought for it. And, uh, and so the person and this, whoever's telling this story, I wish I could remember who, remember who it was, said, this comic went out and they sold the joke. They went out and they gave it everything. They sold the joke and the joke died. And that writer said it was that from that moment on, I realized I don't have to stand out there and take it. I can right. I'm not the person out there. I'm That's not the, the greatest f- lesson for a writer to learn. Yeah. It's like, I think writers should all go perform mm-hmm. so that they know what it's like to bomb. Right. And they know what it's like to trust a performer when they go, I can't like, like Jimmy Fallon is like you, when he's on fire, nobody's better. Mm-hmm. And he'll do mimes in the monologue. Like after he tells a joke, like little things that aren't no human is going to laugh at those, but they destroy me. They just look so <laughs> precise and perfect. And it's like, you go and he'll go, I don't, that joke's not going to work. And you go and same with John. He, if you say, I can't do this. You go, well, I trust you, you know, right. You're the, you're the fighter pilot, you know what I mean? Right. I'm ground crew and I'm helping you fly higher. So if you don't think you can do this, if you go, I don't know about that. And I'll go, well, why don't you try it? If it works, great. If it doesn't, we'll cut it. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I, this joke, I, this isn't going to work. Then you go, well, then I'm not going to, right. I'll save right. that joke for somebody else. Because, because also you have to own it. Mm-hmm. To truly be great, you have to open up your soul and have nothing between you and the audience right. for you to be great. That's true. And you go, that's why they like when, when performers are in the groove, 
you they're like the oh they're so sensitive they're so yeah because they have all their emotions out on display and you're making fun of them because they you've got 60 layers between you and pain that's a really interesting thing i think that that's true i know that's true in all kinds of writing it's always where i'm trying to get people to be and i i thought about it for a long time i was trying to figure out like uh i'm like i never really got good at stand-up and I'm okay with that. I don't have any, you know, yeah, like I learned, a lo- yeah. I learned a lot of things. I, you know, before stand-up, I couldn't stand in front of people and talk with any confidence. Now I do it all the time. I learned a ton of things. And I didn't do it long enough. But the other thing I realized later on in life was, you know what? Because I was trying to make it, essentially I was trying to make it in the movie business. Stand-up was just this weird side thing. Because that industry was predominantly white still is i had to i felt like i had to check my blackness at the door Mm -hmm. and then i felt like i couldn't be as honest as i needed to be on stage and so i was like oh i couldn't get any better because i wasn't able to expose who i was on stage right do you think it was you did you think it it was uh, both or just was it mostly the system or you stopping yourself because you thought that's what the system wanted. Oh, no, I think it was the system. I think it was the system. The system uh, often if if um, and that's that still happens. I won't I won't say where, but there are studios and people I've worked for where I go. If I say something that seems to come from a black perspective, I get a lot of pushback, a lot of, hey, like I have some agenda or something. I'm like, I'm just using my history and the things I know to inform this conversation and point of view. I don't have an agenda. And so you, you end up having to check a lot of that stuff at the door. Well, uh, hopefully too now, hopefully in the, it'll be a little bit better. Yeah, I, I hope I mean, so. Well, I don't know, but it's also, it's again, it's all, everything is kindness, right? If you're kind and cool. There are no problems, right? And if you're kind and cool to this person and he's kind and cool to you, then, well, then there'd be no need for unions or laws. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> be like, you know, we live in a utopia. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but, but for whatever reason, um, maybe some of it was internal, but I think a lot of it was external that I, I felt like I had to protect myself and it didn't allow me to go deep. It didn't allow me to explore. Right. If I had been... Uh, somebody like Chris Rock or Chappelle, who was mo- just interested in being a stand-up, right. right? And didn't feel like they had that, like they got into show business, bigger, broader show business through stand-up. Right. Because was, that was their, that was their passion. Right. That's where they wanted to be. The other stuff is just like, that's another thing for people to learn. It's not about money. Right. If you think about making money, you're never going to make money because so few people make money in this business. <laughs> right. You've got to think about the art. What you're creating should be the win. Right. And then money will come or it won't come, but you'll be on a path where you know what's right because you're, you're you know, it's like Ools, that story, Wools wrote for a soap opera. Uh-huh. And that was his first job out of Drake, out of college. Went okay. to write for, oh yeah, I'm in California. I'm a, I'm a paid writer. All right. We're talking about Jim Ools, who yeah, Jim wrote, wrote Fight Club later on, but yeah. Good. And I was a rancher. Yeah, and he was a ranch. He wrote a script and they loved it. Mm-hmm. And he went, wow. And he tried to write that same script and they hated it. Mm-hmm. So, and he kept on doing that and he had to quit because he didn't know what right was. Right. Know what they thought was right because the soap operas weren't his passion. Right. You know what I mean? And again, it's yeah. not 
bad to not you and remember this people you can't sell out if you're getting money to eat (laughs) (laughs) you are going i have to pay the rent you know what i mean it's like no there's no there's only selling out is like if you have enough money and you're only doing this for the money this horrible thing then that's selling out i disagree with that slightly i slightly disagree well there's certain cases of like you have to kill this person (laughs) (laughs) well or you do something against really against what you believe right like well, if you if you're doing something, I'm like talking about if you get take a job on a show that you don't think is great. Oh, that's that's eating. Yes. But if you take a job on a show that you think is damaging. Yes. Then. Well, then that's different. Right. That's a I'm talking about. Yeah. If you want to go <laughs> for the, the storm front or something. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, yeah. Well, I got to eat, man. You know, then, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I work yeah. in a grocery store and eat. There's a you know, you don't need. Yeah. To I'm talking yeah. in the world of clean comedy. Okay. okay. You know what I mean? Because rare, but rarely do we ever. I've never heard anybody say, "Man, that guy sold out. He went and worked for white right supremacists." <laughs> I, I don't know quite selling out with. Right. You know, it'd be more like they made the fifteenth, you know, movie in a series or whatever, just for the money. Then you go. Right. Yeah. But if you got to eat, you're just you know working in comedy, not because if you put morals on it, then there's a whole. There's whole, another thing. There's well, another. When I when I moved uh, out of L.A. and didn't have any work, I was a janitor for a little while. And when I was a janitor, my job was throwing away tons of food in this building. It was like a private club and there were lots of restaurants in this club and they threw out tons of food every day. And I'm like, can't we give this food away to people who are hungry? I mean, it was unbelievable. And. Uh, they said, you know, if you feed people, you can't like I my job is like you'll lose your job if you're seen feeding people. If you, you can't give this food away. But I would have people waiting by the dumpsters when I threw food out waiting for food. And I was just like, you know what? If I lose my job because I'm feeding people, I'm right. going to be OK with that. Like I couldn't I couldn't be like, that's my job. I got to like that just sounds like I didn't. It, it well, sounded, no, but, yeah, that's the thing where you go like. I'm just following orders. Right. That's what I mean. I thought about that. No, no, there's not. Yeah. And it was probably some weird um, legal thing. You know what I mean? With the tort, with everything so crazy. Like, hey, if you give somebody food and they eat it and they die, they can sue you or some stupid. That's what they said it was. You know. But it was a private club where there are lots of lawyers. And I thought if they wanted to fix this, they could. If they wanted to figure out whatever waiver or whatever, they could figure it out. You just go like. And again, that's people not being cool. That's yeah. going like, you know what? If you're going to, how about this then? Just leave the bags by the door. Right, right. Don't put them in the dumpster. You're not giving away food. You're just sending them by the door. <laughs> right, you know I mean? right, yeah. Keep having to come there. That's great. If not, great. You know, yeah. you got it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, um, so I think you can sell out. You Actually, ate pretty well. Me? Yeah, you had to have eaten pretty well. <laughs> I did eat pretty yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, but I, I just, uh, I... You know, I didn't want to lose my job. I needed the job. But also you have to sleep at night. Right. You know exactly. I mean? But there's, it's like this, this story about that, you know, what the dude who saved the lady on the bridge or the, you know, whatever, something. And he goes, well, how could you do that? He goes, how could I not? Right. I had no choice in the matter. Right. This person was, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, that, there's moral choices that are different than comedy choices right okay i mean comedy choices are gloss and they're all like right you know even if you write for a show you go i hate that show and you your family can eat 
then to me, that's not selling out. That, but no, that's not, yeah. if I have enough money and I'm, oh, I'm doing pretty good. Hey, here's tons of money to work on that show you hate. Yeah. Then it's selling out. You know sure. I mean? but uh, okay. So you know, when you're younger, people are so, they love to throw selling out on the, you know, oh, right. band, people listen to the band I love. Oh, I hate them. You know what I mean? Now that my band is sold out because people like them. You're like, right. Yeah. <laughs> Forgiveness in all things. Just by all the way, by by the way, uh, a lot of young people don't understand the term selling out that's anymore. True. That's true. Because I don't think there is selling out anymore. Right. Because there's no difference between like doing a commercial was verboten. You know what I mean? Even being on TV was like, I don't, you're right. I think there's no line anymore. So this, you can cut this all out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like selling out. What do you mean? Isn't that a good thing when you sell out? When, you know, it's like, no, that's, uh, yeah, I don't think they understand. It's essentially selling your soul is what you're Yeah, saying. because also they, there's no difference because they do Instagram and they do, and it's true, a great commercial is, if you do a hilarious commercial, that's just as valid as a hilarious sketch or a hilarious, you know true. what I mean? It's like, if, it's, if it makes you laugh and it's super funny, yeah. it's like, you know, those Geico caveman ads when they came out, I, was, I loved them. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I, that was such a fresh take on something, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, it was like, what's wrong with that? That's, that's a piece, you know, that's a piece yeah. of craft. Yeah. I think, I think if you, if you bring your best to it, whatever yeah. it is, if you well, bring your the, best. And that's the secret too. It's like, that's the thing you learn of like, don't half time it. You know what I mean? Don't look at the clock, give yourself a hundred percent in it. Because right. like, that's what you'll talk to standups who become writers and you go, are you ready to become a writer? Because you're going to have to give up some of the stuff. You can't go, I'm going to save that for me. You can okay. go, I'll save that for me if it won't work in this situation. Right. But you have to give it your all or else you'll be miserable. You know? Right. Because you can't tell what's going to get picked and what's not going to get picked. And even when stuff kills at the table, it dies at dress. There's no, we don't know what's going to work, but we know right. what's good or what has a certain spark to it or has a certain flair to it. And sure. a lot of stuff like, is just all radio stuff, which is super hilarious at the table when you're reading it. Oh, sure. What are you looking at when you see it? Right. You know what I mean? There's things like that where, and again, no, like William Goldman said, no one knows anything. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's the only truth in Hollywood or show business or else every movie would be a hit. Right. Every story would be perfect. Every, every TV show would be great. If everybody knew, you know, and good doesn't equate with successful. Right. You know, those, no, those that's true. They, have, you know what I they mean? have nothing to do with each other. No. Actually. And sometimes yeah. where like sometimes they're. Oh, yeah. In, you know, art and commerce. But but usually like It's a Wonderful Life. I think our favorite movie of all time was yeah. not a hit. Shawshank yeah. Redemption was not a hit. Right. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, but that does that make him not good? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, it's I think um, um, Arthur Miller said, you know, don't be seduced into thinking that. That, that that which does not make money uh, is without value. Right. Right. <laughs> right. You, you only have to answer. I mean, I don't like, it's like, uh, um, who's a, who directed um, uh, Birdman? Oh, yeah, that guy. That dude. <laughs> yeah. They had a round table of directors mm-hmm. and they're asking, do you do make movies for yourself or do you make movies for the audience or, and then, you know, I think it was, uh, was it really one of the Scott brothers? Ridley Scott goes, yeah, I make him for myself. It's all for myself, you know, mm-hmm. for myself. And they got to him and he, and, uh, he goes, I do not know if the, if the, uh, 
if there was a nuclear blast and the world came to an end and I was the only person left, I do not think I would be making movies. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. You you have to have an eye on the audience. You know what right. I mean? You have to let them in. Right. You can't keep on putting blocks in front of them so they can't enjoy it. Right. You know I mean, then write a poem. You know what right. I mean? Then, then just do something that's small and tiny, but you're making this broad thing. And, and again, don't make it so all oh, people love that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you fulfilling your own. It's living in that diagram, that Venn diagram of, let me concentrate on this. And, and again, if it's in your, again, and you have to write what you love and you have to, if it, it has to mean something to you too. And you have to be yeah. saying something. And that's a hard thing I think for people to, um, in comedy, especially to grasp because especially our generation, because when we grew up, it, it was a very special episode of. Right. Arnold <laughs> would get, you know, he'd get raped on facts of life or whatever. And you go right, like, oh, yeah. on, on different strokes, you go right. like, Oh God. So right. So comedy and drama don't mix. Comedy and emotion are a bad thing. And you go like, no, emotion doesn't have to be, they die. It could be just kindness or there or something that, that speaks to your heart because that's the only thing you remember. Right. You know, and how it made you feel. Right. You know? At the end of Back to the Future, when he comes back, it's your kids. You're going like, wow, you know what I mean? Right, like yeah. You feel something. And that's right. what comedy, that's, I think, is just as important and I'm not talking about bathos, right, you know what I mean? Right. I'm, and I'm talk, not talking about fake or that people love that, eat that with a spoon. No, it's like true emotion. Again, truth is the key. Right. You know? I think that that's uh, several times in this, uh, in this incarnation of the show, um, and even in the other incarnation of the show, I brought up MASH as an example mm -hmm. of this, right? The television show MASH knew how to walk this line in a very specific way. And for probably first, all in the family- for the first, yes. all of them, for the first yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. And then they forgot how to walk the line. Yeah, well, Larry Gelbart left, I think. I think no, that's, I, yeah, Larry Gelbart left. And I think McLean Larry Stevenson left, and that's when it went downhill? I don't think so. Okay. I, I don't think, I don't think. It, for I think me, it, as soon as Colonel Potter showed up, it was like, okay, horse hockey, that's it. Oh, I like it. I watched, but I went, hmm. I didn't watch the show until, like, my mom hated the show, so I thought the show was bad because that's what you do, you know? And then I watched it on my own. By then, Potter was the guy. Right. So, so but then did you go back and watch? Oh, yeah. I've seen them all now yeah. several times. And I, I mean, still, when you were a kid, yeah. Yeah. Oh, when I was a kid, I still, yes, I would watch the reruns and, you know. So, um, but I, 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 I like Potter because I was introduced. So I think part of that for people who watched it all the way through is there was a shift. Right. And you and, don't like shift. Again, it's like Saturday Live, people... When it got, do you remember when everybody hated it? My, yes. My, my, I don't still hate it. They, they, they have Saturday Night Dead ready to print at any, <laughs> any given <laughs> Right, yeah. But like, oh, this cast is horrible. This is the worst ever. Who's in that cast? Farley, Sandler, Spade, Chris <laughs> Kelly. <Bally. laughs> right, <laughs> like, yeah. That's the worst ever. They didn't realize it was an institution. Right. Where it, your your Saturday Live, your best cast is either high school, junior high, first years of college. Right. Before that, they're not as good. After that, they're horrible. Right. So wherever your sweet spot is, is where your humor aligned. And so everything before it, you have respect for, but right. everything after you think stinks. Right. Yeah. And it's like it shows you like you were introduced to Harry Potter. So Harry Potter, 
I mean, not Harry Potter, Colonel Potter has an emotional relevance to you. Right. Or to me, he's just an interloper. And I'm right. Like, What's Frank Gannon doing on? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I actually think the show died when uh, when Radar left. Oh, yeah. Could be. I think it's when Radar left. I, I found them unwatchable when I tried to watch them all. And also Hot Lips got too kind. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and enough, but to me, the show that says that the most for me uh, is Cheers. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, you cared if Sam and Diane got together. Right. You were sad when Coach died. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's not all like Andy Griffith, which I think my Andy Griffith might be the you read Andy Griffith scripts and they're like, oh, my, they're Andy Griffith is uh, I, I cannot. I tell people all the time. To me, the greatest show ever on television. It probably it's it's up there for sure. Opie Birdman. I, 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 oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's I, amazing. I want you to listen to that mom of bird. Those baby birds. I, what, yeah. Mom, listen at this window. It's like, what? Yeah. And it didn't seem out of place. No, it wasn't out of place. No. And Barney, you could feel sad. He he was a pyramid of character where at the front, he's this nerdy goof. Yeah. But he's a human underneath it. You know what That's I mean? That's what made him lovable. Barney, yes. yeah. You understood him. He was insecure. Yes. Everything he did came out of his massive insecurity. Right. Everything. Everybody. Go too far and admit it and knew he did wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like a dummy, but then he'd. You know, yeah, no, that show is is off the charts, well written, and I yeah. I have a hard time explaining that to people. They don't get it. No, I mean, like, you know, yeah, no, it's like it's just so well done, and it's so fully rounded. Where Andy isn't cool all the time. No, he's not. I mean, he sometimes accused Opie of doing things, and he's wrong. Right. You know? I mean, it's wonderful life when he kicks the. You didn't see that. Right. He will kick the. Christmas decorations and yell at his kids. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, like, it's just the truth. Cause there was a, there was a while. And I'm sure somebody said this before me when, you know, you go through phases and all I was reading was nonfiction. Uh-huh. And then I read, I forget what I read, but then it did it. This, this epiphany came to me, which again, I'm sure somebody said before me, but it's that nonfiction teaches you facts and fiction teaches you truths. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's yes. like a, a human yeah. condition and you go, like, well, because now to me, the thing I say to my, my big mantra is like, when I was little, I thought Dickens characters were just made up. I thought that mean people in Dickens were fake. Oh, and right. Now, sure. Now they're running the government. Right. You know what I mean, now they're now you see right. them, see these people who are like the whole joy is to be mean and cruel. Right. The whole point is to be and you go like, wait, I thought you people were fake. Right. I didn't think real. You know what I mean? I thought that everything was like, I seriously, we've talked about this before. I lived in a bubble. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where I go, you know what? Racism isn't gone, but we got a handle on it. Sexism isn't gone, but we got a handle on it. There's yeah. no more casting couches because that was my world that I lived in. Right. And all anecdotal evidence would say that these things were true. Do you know what right. I mean? Right. And then you go, wait. Father, <laughs> 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 what? <laughs> right. A second, are you kidding me? He did what? These right. people did this? Are you? They said that, right? You know what I mean, right? I, it, like you go, like, oh yeah, you dummy. It's like when when you go, that guy's great. You know, the, that guy's nice to me. Well, he's an asshole to the grips, right? But he's nice to me. Well, right, that <laughs> right. You know? yeah. And that's what I was living in. I was living in that world, and you can't. 
It's what is water. You can't see it because you're living in it. Right. I mean, which again, as we've talked about before, they also have to forgive me for living in that world. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You have to go, right. no, and I have to forgive them for not knowing I lived in this world. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And everybody has to forgive everybody and you forgive yourself first. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because we all forgiveness is about your reaction to them, not them. It has right. nothing to do with them. But you just go, oh my God, I didn't know this stuff was, you know what I mean? I'd really, it was like, you know, mm-hmm. they hate her that much. They hate women that much. He only attacks women governors. They only attack, they only right. attack Losey. You never see him talk about Chuck Schumer, really. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. What? Right. And again, it's just these facts are thrown in your face. You go, well, I have no other determinant than this is true. I thought it was, you know, I really thought we had a, we were, we had a grasp, but it's again, why, you know, Shakespeare still makes sense. Only the props and the costumes have changed. That's Human ex- emotions are the same and people like to tribal up when they're yep. afraid, you know, yeah. and the people fed them this thing because they're acting like Germany in the thir- you know, the twenties when a loaf of bread was a, barrel of marks right because they've told them they're you know who's the, who's the they there's always a they there's always a they yeah it's muslims or jews or blacks or catholics or irish or whoever it is they're always a they yeah and they're gonna come take from you yep. you know? yeah yeah a joke that my brother told me which i know is not his joke but it's there's an industrialist a guy, non-union guy and a union guy and there's 12 cookies on the table and oh, yeah. Dollar eats 11 of them. And he says to the, the non-union guy, that union guy's trying to eat your cookie, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. And they fall for it and they go, well, yeah, this guy's trying to get my... <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Frederick Douglass said that. Frederick Douglass, when he was a slave, he was rented out to boat builders. Do you know this? It's in his autobiography. Yeah. So he was rented out to boat builders. And uh, he had some boat building skills. I don't know where they came from, but he had boat building skills. And he was, and so they had poor white people and they had slaves working in uh, building these boats. And he said, what was interesting is the people who owned the boat factory or company uh, would tell the, they'd say, when, the, when the white workers would say, we're not making enough money, they'd say, you know, the people in charge would say, well, we could fire you and hire a slave and that's going to be cheaper. So yeah. take what we're giving you. Oh, right. And then yeah. the, the, then they would say, and you don't want emancipation. You don't want these people to be free because if they're free, they'll come after your job. Right. That's and all we do. They're going to come after your jobs. And right. I saw somebody tweeted out. I don't know who it was. It wasn't me. But it's like next time they tell you China stole all our jobs. No, you gave them to them. So right. you pay less money so you can make more money. Right. <laughs> all you did. They didn't take your job. You gave them to them. So don't give me that, that, you know, and it's you also were- how they believe that, you know, and again, every nothing is perfect, but Hey, working man, working woman. Do you like a 40 hour week? Yeah. Do you like weekends? Right. Yeah. Well, thank a union. I again, know. I know. <laughs> bad unions out there, but they are the only people working for you. And <laughs> I know. You know. Sometimes they get too big and they get too bad. But no, oh, sure. All systems are flawed. But you right. go, You gotta go. Who's looking out for the working person? When we were growing up too, I, I talked to my kids about this. Our heroes were like truck drivers, and you know what I mean. Like yeah. 
shows about truck drivers and people who work for a living and right. You know what I mean? Smokey and the Bandit about about working class people were our yeah. heroes and not billionaires and right. There <laughs> right, like, right. was a dignity to work right. where you didn't look. Down. My dad was had so many. When he died, he was a janitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so that means he's not as good as your dad, the doctor. That right. means he's a good man because he. Right. Died, you know what I mean? It's like all that stuff has to be just wiped away, and it is you got to look at the character of somebody's soul of like you have a choice how you view people. There is an intrinsic right and wrong. Two and two equal four. That's what I was going to say, because, why can't I think of his name? Uh, Orwell. Scrooge McDuck? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, George Orwell said um, that uh, freedom is the ability to say two plus two equals four. All the other freedoms stem from that something like yes that. yeah right? that, and that's what's missing now right know? yeah you can't say that no because that's like no it's not yeah there, yeah <laughs> yeah there's no virus what are you talking I, I, about that's about it it's like my opinion is more important than your facts yeah you know yeah so talk about snowflakes it's like oh i see so you people are the snowflakes always <laughs> the victims right know? right and if you were just cool, let's get together. We can figure this all out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this, this is, well, this is kind of what you're talking about with fiction, right? This is the truth that fiction gets at, mm-hmm. right? The fact that Orwell said what he said. Orwell's books are full of facts. Right, and no one's going to read it in a pamphlet. You right, know what I mean? right, yeah. Or, an yeah. or, or I should say full of truths. Yeah, full of they, truths. They, yeah, this, yeah this, this book is full of truths. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know, uh, yeah, well, it's pigs and horses and whatever, but it's full of truths about how human beings operate and about right. how and people in power operate. That, and again, it's like that 70 year cycle they talk about. You think, oh, that happened. It's not going to happen again. Oh, no. It's you always have to be vigilant. Yeah. Stuff like that. I think that when um, it really comes down and this actually is what I think stories are one of their functions is that we are supposed to honor them. Some, some societies do more than others. We kind of have turned them into, um, we've monetized them so much that that's the way we tend to think of them. Mm-hmm. But I think that the history of Jewish culture is one of storytelling and honoring those stories. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you get to the Holocaust and say, let's tell stories about the Holocaust, that's a long history of that even before you get to the Holocaust, right. right? Because it's all about the survival information that gets passed down from one generation to the next. And right? like, and clues of like, don't let yes. this. Yeah. When you see this, that means this is going to yeah. happen. This yeah. is the <laughs> next stage. This is the yeah. next thing, right? First they'll do this, then they'll do that. Right. And it's knowing all of that stuff. If you know the stories and you pay attention to them and you honor them, um, that, that changes how you respond. Yes. And I think that what we do is we, we, um, the stories die with the generation uh, that has them. We don't carry them on with any, we don't understand they have information for us. So we go, well, that was World War II and that was Hitler. That's not us, right? right. And when those people all die off, you and know, most of them- The cycle starts again. It's all over again, right? But if we paid more attention to the stories and honored them more, like there's an African saying that where there is an old person, nothing need go wrong. Right. Right. All they're saying is this person has lived through a lot of stuff. And yeah, if you listen to them, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, wasn't, this wasn't there the, the tribe of people 
with the tsunami who their story wasn't yes. the, he yeah. goes away. You know what I mean? You, yeah. Was that in your book? Was that? That's in my book. And I it's on the class. I, yeah. Uh, the Moken. Uh, when the tsunami, they, they knew all the signs of a tsunami coming because it was in a story that they honored. Right. It, and that's what I think it is. It is passing information and it is passing information of joy or sadness or learn these things. And if you don't, aren't passing something, if you're not, that's why people go, what are you saying? You got to say something. You got I'm writing a screenplay. What's about, uh, whatever, you know, yeah. you know about making money because I got to eat. And you go, because I do believe that stories when movies were, that was, that was more, powerful than the threat of war from us. It was like mm-hmm. American soft power was movies and culture oh, yeah. and doing and looking at us saying, no, they, they, you know, and so when stuff goes to hell in a handbasket, they, all the dictators want to go see America's just like us. It's no better over there. Right. Too. And you go like, Oh, that's not what radio free Europe is supposed to be. It's supposed to be, you know, we didn't yeah. live. And we've talked about this many times too. no, like I can't, again, I told my kids, the only people who have done nothing wrong are people who have done nothing. <laughs> right, right. Humans make mistakes. Right. But the smart people go, oh, I did that. That was not, that was awful. But now yeah. it seems it's either they'd made this mistake so they are done. Right. Like, That's not cool. So right. it's like, so again, is a, it's like, you know, Churchill said about democracy, it's the worst system Oh yeah, it's the worst system of government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Except for all the others, and <laughs> right. it's like you know what? Yeah, sure. America did all these awful, th- awful things. But you go, that's the way shit happens. People do awful things, right? And you've got to go. Well, what's what are they supposed to be? Right. What is this supposed to be? Right. You know what I mean? It's like, is this supposed to be? Uh, because I do believe, uh, you know. Again, we can't tell, but I believe this is the greatest country on earth because it is every country on earth. Mm. You know what I mean? Especially like during World War II when they took a swath, you know? Yeah. Even then it was like discrimination was happening. Oh yeah, sure. And so you can't say then that World War II was bad, that Hitler was just as bad as we were because we did this, because not everybody did that. And there were people who knew it was wrong and mm-hmm. they didn't do it. You know what I mean? It's so complicated. But if you start with a place of, it's like, you know, if they know better, they'll do better. Mm-hmm. So it's like, again, it's like you can't start off with like, it's never going to be fixed. You always right. have to hope. You have to right. go, we can be what we're supposed to be. Right. We can be the idealistic America with capital A if we strive for that. Right. You know what I mean? Again, it's not, you're not supposed to be Christ. Right. You're supposed to be like Christ. Right, right. I think that we, uh, what, what happened, I think, with our founding documents was that we, that they put in there the ideal yes. that then allowed the other things to fall into place. They yes. didn't say some of us are going to have rights and just some of us are just, just not. Right, right. That's not in the document. Right. No. <laughs> right. Uh, even though they omitted people, they, you know, there were certain things, that, but they, once they said all men are created equal, right. Which the that language. Opened, that, exactly. That opened the door to allow you to make that true. Right. And, you know what I mean? And then right. it's like, is it true yet? Not yet. Right. You know what I mean? But we're, hopefully we're working on it. Yeah. There's that thing of like, I, I just can't, it's like, I'm I probably as you are too. When you're, when you're in this, you go, that guy's an asshole, but that joke is still funny. Oh, you know right. I mean? Yes. <laughs> <'Cause> right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Human being, 
but I got to admit that was a funny joke. You right. know what I mean? And you have to separate the art from the artist. You right. have to separate the thought from the deed. You have right. to go, this is this thing. This ideal is not these people. It's the right. ideal which we bring to life. Right. You know what I mean? It's like Wagner was a horrible person. That doesn't, you know, not that I listen to Wagner. Right, you know? right. Yeah, like, right. Okay, yes, they're awful, but that's, they did this thing. Right. This thing's not them. Right. You know well, I mean? there's, yeah, some people are, um, their work is better than they are. Yes. And okay. also I can understand too, like if you, if it directly affects you, that's then you a, can't see past that. And I understand that. That's too. a different thing. Yeah. That's a different thing. That's like you had to, you know, you're living with that pain inside of you, which is your truth. Right. And so you see it through your truth. Right. And so my truth is different. And so I can go, yes, that's funny because that never happened to me. Right. You know what I mean? That was, yeah. never, that doesn't mean I don't have empathy for these people. Oh, yeah. I don't think it should be shoved in their face. Right. No. But, so it's art and artist. It's person and idea. And the right. idea should win. And the person should be, again, like we were talking about earlier, the joke isn't yours. Right. It isn't mine. Right. It, it's its own thing now. This script you wrote isn't you anymore because you can't make the character, if it's good, you can't yeah. have the characters do anything you want because right. it doesn't fit. Right. Because it's not you. You're pulling it out of, like, who's that dude I love? Um, Stephen Pressfield, that war of art. Uh-huh. Uh, right. Okay, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. they're talking about the muse coming to visit him. And like you set up a clean room, you think, and these things come to you and they are their own things. They are mm -hmm. their own fully formed. Like Paul McCartney, boy, did I, did you ever heard this song? Yes, I did this dream of the song. It just came to him. Right. You know what I mean? Because you can't explain the ethereal. You can't right. explain how, but you can explain how you can make the path to make that easier. Right. You know what I mean? Like work in a clean space, just set apart some side, get away from people. I remember when uh, with uh, Close Encounters was the first time I remember this happening. So Steven Spielberg makes Close Encounters. It's a huge hit. And then he decides he wants to fix some things. And I remember thinking, you know, it's not your movie anymore, right? Yeah. Like you gave it to us. Yeah. And we like it how it is. Yeah. The same with all the Star Wars fixing. You go, yeah. like, no, it's not you. It's not, it's no, no longer yours. Yeah. yeah. It was yours for a while. You know, it's like Frank Lloyd Wright when he would go to somebody's house that was the house that he designed, he would move their furniture around. Like they invited yeah. him to dinner or something. Goes, well, this chair doesn't belong here. It's supposed to be yeah. over here. It's supposed, like, you guess what? It's not your house. Yeah. <laughs> leaks every day. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, yeah. Like, on, man. <laughs> yeah. He would rearrange people's furniture. No, it's also, you can't make your kids do exactly what you want to do either. They're mm -hmm. their own person. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, you right. Them, you did all this stuff, but they're their own being and it's not of you. And I think that's why, it's like it hurts less and less when a joke dies the older you get. When you're hmm. young, oh, you've when it falls flat, flop sweat and you feel yeah. awful and you just go, oh my god, I don't want to feel this way anymore because you think that joke is you, right? And it's not you. It's right joke. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. you have to separate. And also, it's like you have to separate praise from damnation, right? Because if you believe the praise, you have to believe the damnation. You just have to do your thing. You have to be yeah. an yourself and you want to make other people right. uh, happier stuff. But like we're saying, good is good for you. You right. got to do the best you can. And the best you can is this at this time. If you fucked around and didn't do it, then that's another thing. That's a different thing. You know, it's funny. I'm actually, I've always pushed back on this idea that if you believe like uh, the uh, good reviews, you have to 
believe the bad ones. I don't believe that's true. Well, I think, no, no, if you take it to heart and you were only bolstered by good. Oh, yes. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about what the best reviews, though, was like when there used to be real critics, they'd go, I forget some sketch. Eric Mink was a was a critic for the Daily News. And he said something was like this sketch went on, you know, when when everybody was attacking us. Yeah. It's when you go to and you go, oh, he's right. Yes. Right. That's that, different. That doesn't happen anymore. No. You know I mean, there's nobody you go like they try. We're trying too hard in this scene. If they would have done this, they should. And again, it's now you get they should have done this joke. And you go like, right. oh, <laughs> I'm only talking about when you live and die by. The oh, yeah. OK. When you it. go, you know what I mean? Because the praise you can go. Yeah, they agreed. I was right. You know what I mean? But right. again, if you go, oh, they, they everybody hated it. It's awful. You go, everybody didn't like it. Yeah, no, that's, I get, yeah, I get that. What I was thinking about was um, when I heard people say that it made sense, but then I realized when you listen to people critique, they often, they will often um, put something down before they build it up. So it's, it's safer to say that's terrible, right? Because it makes it seem like you have. Until they'll go rewrite it when the thing's a huge hit and they'll go revise their opinion. Right, right. <laughs> you know, but you know what I'm saying? So that to, to praise something, it, it puts you at risk. Yeah. Because somebody could come along and go up yourself and saying, I like this thing. Right. You know, like I was to go as a joke. You know what? I don't care what anybody says. I like the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> I think presents are fun. I think getting a present is fun. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm going out on, I know I'm, uh, you know, yeah. You agree with me, but yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's easier um, yeah. to put something down. And also it's easier to make fun of something. Yeah. Than to go, wow, I really like that. Yeah. And so that's where I, that's where I go, go with that. I'm like, no, you don't have to believe the bad stuff. You, you have to look at where it's coming. If, if a bad critique, a good critique of your work is the one where you go. Yeah, that is true. And it's often you knew it was true. Right. And that's often- what we- what we try to do too is the, the, when you're like, and usually you can only parody something you love. Right. Because if you parody something you hate, it, there's no truth to it. Right. And you want to make it so the people watching the show go, oh, they got me. You know what I mean? And right. you want to, so if you ran to that person at a party, you could go, oh, I just, I was just poking fun. It's not vicious or mean. Right. It's not, it's not an unfair hit. It's like you're pointing out something. You're not tearing these people down. Right. You're pointing out something about them that is a valid point. That isn't about their, you know, some mean, snipey. Yeah. And sometimes that happens, you know what I mean? Because you're in that business where, you, where yeah. you're on the line, you cross it sometimes. But you try to go make it a fair hit on that person. Make it a critique of what they're doing that they would laugh at and go, oh, yeah. Right. You know. You have to have a person who's self-reflective enough to make yeah. to do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you know. It's not even, it's like that you can defend yourself to them. Oh yeah, sure. They're mad at you, they're the asshole. It's like, right, 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 yeah. No, um, you're taking this too far. I read a thing about uh, a baby baby gorillas. Um, there was a there was a, a a gorilla who was the head of this troop and uh, was being kind of a jerk. And baby gorillas started imitating and kind of making fun of this guy who was in charge. And I'm like, that is in our. Yeah, it must be in us. <laughs> it's in our DNA. Yeah, it must be a primate thing, yeah. right? <laughs> that we go. Uh, oh yeah, this is 
because you're reflecting them at themselves. Yeah. Oh, oh, I look ridiculous. I don't want to look ridiculous. If yeah. people are self-reflective, they'll take that on. Right. That's the job of the court. But also, if they were self-reflective, they would have probably not acted like the asshole they did. If they Maybe. could see themselves, if they could Maybe. see themselves, but they could, you, yeah. it, it's very difficult to see yourself. Uh, other people tell you who you are often. Yeah, true, true. Right? Always figure out somebody else's problems way before you. <laughs> yeah. So other people say, you know, you do this all the time. Oh, I do? What? I never realized that. Yeah. If you if you listen to other people, and after a while, a pattern emerges and you go, okay, that's a real thing. Yeah. Right? And I'll point out something. You know, I don't, I'm ne- I don't, re- it's so deep within you, you don't realize. Like an Iowaism is you go also too. Huh. That's a Midwestern thing. Like, and somebody pointed it out to me and go like, well, I don't say that. And then, yeah, you do. You say it all the time. Huh. It's like a f- odd colloquialism. Yeah. So I think all Midwest is also too. I had some Missouriisms when I first moved out of there that I can't quite remember. I remember some pronunciation things that people would make fun of. Like I used to say warsh. Yeah. Instead of wash. And I wouldn't hear it. Yeah. You know, people would point it out to me. Like, well, then things happen too that you that get so that you forgot you said that. Like everything in Iowa, we worked. I worked at a grocery store. You sacked everything was a sack. It wasn't oh, right, a, right. And you go like, no, that's a bag. He's a grocery bagger. No, I was a sacker, and everything. Because now I think of a sack as like has to be made of cloth. Usually, you know. Okay. What I mean? Yeah. Is you know a grocery bag? It isn't a grocery sack, but it was a sack. Huh? And, wow, I forgot I even said that. Yeah, I, I have those some of those things. I had a friend who, grew, who was a little kid on the East Coast, and she said, uh, we didn't say rocks, we said stones. <laughs> it's a stone. You pick up a stone, right? Which sounds really old to me. It doesn't yeah, like, no, it's, it's a like, rock. It sounds yeah. classier, you know what I mean? Yeah, it does sound classier. Like I guess wall. stone yeah. to death. They weren't rocked to death. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> yeah. a that's, a much more, that's a much it's more a pleasant way to get no moss, you know. To be, yeah. yeah, to be rocked to death though is a is a yeah, nice death. That's your Metallica. That's the way I like to go. Just to be rocked to death. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more of a of a baby sort of. Oh, I was thinking. <laughs> just thinking yeah. So they rocked so hard, like. <laughs> <laughs> that you were that it took your soul up to another. oh no that well either way yeah either way <laughs> either way i do like the more pleasant yeah yeah you know just but rock then you fell asleep and yeah wake up it yeah. sounds pretty nice it sounds pretty nice that's the way i'd like to go so if anybody's yeah. listening you <laughs> exactly. know whoever makes those decisions, make decisions you, know. <laughs> you know yeah Dang, you know um so um okay so uh it seems like we're we're i just want to make sure we we're going to have a lot of people listening to this show or watching this show. People do it either way. It's a podcast and it, you know, I think they come to the show to, to get information they can use. Uh, so I'm trying to hone in on something that people can take away. Uh, let's say they want, um, in fact, I, I know someone uh, who, wants to her dream one day is to be on Saturday Night Live. That's her dream. She's a young person. That's her dream. Um, and and so um, n- I don't know. Again, it's like you wishing you were going to be on uh, your show of shows or whatever, yeah. like whatever she ends up on or whatever she ends up doing may not be SNL. Right. right. Because who knows? But there are things she can do that prepare her to be ready for whatever it is that is coming. Right. Right. And so what do you think those things 
would be. I think those things are trying to get to know yourself, deciding between jealousy and true dislike of something, Mm -hmm. acting with kindness in all things, working, because it's not all just writing or performing. You know what I mean? It's like, it's because you're shoved in a world suddenly that you have to be prepared for to survive. Right. And that preparedness, it comes on stage a lot, but it also comes from you and concentrate on your joy and do characters that are truthful, mm-hmm. do things that are true to you, not stuff because everybody's got that. Right. You know what I mean? That, that's already there. The stuff, don't ape things, don't mimic things, be right. yourself and find, that's why you have to get to know yourself. You have to find your voice. Right. And what you do best because you do something better than anybody else. Right. It may take you a while to find that. Mm-hmm. But I do believe everybody is unique in their own way. And the only thing that's stopping them is their own. And that's not to say you'll become successful or no. even make a living. But the thing that prevents you from being the true you is this eye watching you or this judgment watching you. Because for you to truly be, you have to open up your soul. And if you don't know who you are, you open that up and it flies away. Right. So you really have to expose yourself to stuff. It's, it's like I always say, it's the difference between I could go away for five minutes. You and I could both take a break mm-hmm. and we could go, okay, we're going to write a fake poem to read to each other. Right. We'd come back and we'd read a fake poem and we'd laugh. I couldn't go away for five minutes and write a real poem to read to you. Right. That's what it has to be. It has to be a real poem of your humor. It has to be true to you. Mm-hmm, and it has mm-hmm. to, you have to let yourself out there and be exposed and learn to build up enough armor that you can deflect some of the arrows, but you should be exhausted after shows, exhilarated, but exhausted. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't go to sleep after a show right. because right. there's too much adrenaline, but you are exhausted sure, and you have sure. to find what within you and it is working hard, but it's not working. I, I, again, it's that, that art of war book. The only time when I was free, I didn't like freelancing at all because I had a daughter and you know what I mean? And yeah. a wife. And the only time I felt good when, when it was like, you got a job in two weeks. That's the only time I would relax. Mm-hmm. But then when do you refill your humor? When do you refill your energy? It's like you work on a thing for a finite period of time a day, close that door, put it away. Your brain will still be thinking about it. Yeah. But you're now watching a movie, so you can comment on that. You're hanging out with friends. Because all humor, all great humor to me comes from goofing off. Mm-hmm. And you're goofing off and those ideas come. And that, you, and again, you always hear it with, you know, Niels Bohr or Einstein or whatever. You're going like, what that idea? Oh, I was walking through the park suddenly and poop, it yep. popped in my head because their subconscious was still working on it. Yep. And if you, you do your thing, close it, leave it, don't look at it till the next day, that's you know, it is a discipline. It's like, you have to go, this is what I do for a living, but I'm not being paid for it. Mm -hmm. This is who I am. This is what I do. And I just have to keep on doing that, but I have to eat as well. So you got to get a job that can support you doing your thing, but you still have to do it. Like we said, there's no secret. No. What the secret of being great is you are great. You've, you've, you've cleared the path for yourself. Right that you've, you've exposed yourself and you actually have like, it's like rock and Chappelle, I think are so successful because they have something to say. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They don't just tell, they tell jokes and they're one of the two funniest people on earth, but 
they have something to say. You go, I wonder what Rock is going to think about this. I wonder what Chappelle is going to think about this. Yeah. They have a something to say. They aren't just making jokes. And it takes a long time to get there. And not yeah. everybody gets there. And that doesn't mean that, um, you know, Jack Benny didn't have something to say, but he was still hilarious. Right. You know what I mean? That, that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that right. you have to find what is you. Mm-hmm. And bring that to the front. And if it, that's you and you have insightful things to say, find a way to say them. If you right. like goofy gags, find a way to do that. You right. know what I mean? Make it so you're the, you're the boss. You're the engine that powers you. Don't go chasing things, you know? Yeah. I was just talking about something Billy, Billy Holiday said, and it also reminded me of something Louis Armstrong said. So Billy Holiday said, if I sing like everybody else, I might as well not sing at all. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And that's what you're saying. Like, Right. Like, well, Billy Holiday sounds like Billy Holiday and nobody else can sound like Billy Holiday. And I also heard a guy talking about when he met Louis Armstrong. This guy was a musician and he's like, yeah, I met Louis Armstrong one time. And Louis, Louis said, do you sing? And the guy says, I don't sing. And Louis said, if I can sing, anybody can sing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Because what he was saying, I think the thing that worked about Louis Armstrong is he he doesn't have a singing voice. No, but he has. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. If he had tried to sound like anybody else, he would have failed. Yeah. But because he was expressing emotion through that voice, then it's like he can sing. Yeah. Right. He can sing. Yeah. His version of a wonderful, no one can sing it. He owns that song. Yeah. And he's not a singer. It's like, you don't have to be perfect to be perfect. And perfect is the enemy of good. It is. Get it done. Just get the thing done. Don't <laughs> yeah. look in your head and not be able to think about it because you want it to be just right. Nothing's just right. If everybody planned on having enough money until they're secured, no baby would ever be born. You <laughs> right, know what I mean? Right, like, right. You're never ready for anything. Just right. let it out there and let other people judge it. You think it's good and fix that joke. Spend that time crafting that one joke to make it better, that one thing. Because that could be the linchpin that, that opens up a whole world for somebody. And that's what that ephemeral thing, if I put it into craft, is that thing we were talking about earlier. It's care. Yeah. Like, you know, within the first 10 minutes of a movie, if you're two minutes of a movie, you're going to like it or not. Yeah, you do. You don't know if it's going to be great, but you know, oh, they're giving, because, and I, you, that thing is, I believe it's care. It's that they cared enough about that shot to tell me information. Yeah. Like, I watched, you know, because I've been, this is the longest time off I've had in, 10 years, you know what I mean? Long yeah. time. And I just watched The Watchmen, that series on HBO. Uh, yeah. Oh my God, the transitions in that are so fantastic. And they have such a great montage in it that you just go, they really thought about this. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, they really put, and it just makes you, it just sucks you into their world. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's like jokes too. Jokes can build a world. You know what I mean? Right. Just that little extra phrase mm-hmm. of, you know, of just, you've, created a, a picture because it, it's all a magic trick yeah you know? I, uh, I it doesn't happen very much anymore but uh, I, I try to explain this to people often I go you know I, I I've lived long enough and lived at a really good time in American cinema right where there were classics that came out on a pretty pretty regular basis when we were coming up a lot of classics came out mm-hmm. like, like it was just like classic after classic after classic godfathers and jaws and star wars and like a bunch of them and et and right ghostbusters later a little later on but i remember sitting in the audience for those movies and i remember that it was almost instantaneous 
you knew you were watching a classic. It was almost yeah. instantaneous. Because and you also want, and you want you wanted to see it again. Yeah. Because yeah. that's that's the thing. You look and you've seen when Soderbergh took out the sound of Raiders and did it in black and white, and you know everything that's going on as you're watching it. Uh-huh. You, you actually understand it better with the sound off. Sure. Than with the sound on. And it's sure. like, you know, that's why those guys loved Norman Rockwell's compositions because yeah. he would tell a story with a picture. Yeah. You know, and like, look at all these, there's so many different details here that I'm just looking at this, but it's like, it's like Easter eggs aren't new. You know what I mean? They're, yeah. they're like, they're, they're like in paintings with the layers of things or they're in, you know, like when I was little, uh, I remember the first book I ever read that I was Dune that I was so absorbed in that, you know yeah. what I mean? And that and once in future King. Where yeah. the two really like they created such a world that you that you just fell into it because they they allowed you to they helped you go come on come come with us we're going to create this thing because there's going to be enough stuff around that you feel like you're in VR because we've created this world right I often say that about uh, a VR I go you know with people are trying to make stories more uh, immersive and I'm like you know when they work they are immersive they yeah. don't, it doesn't need technology yeah don't try to make them emer- like i gotta write something smart that's another thing it's like i you have to free yourself and going you have to trust that you are good and smart and funny mm-hmm. so if you're doing it that filter will come that won't allow you to make it not funny right or not good don't put the extra burden of i have to write a classic or i have to speak for all my people or i have to make say something important with comedy Right, no, right. you're not saying something important. The people will put importance on it. Right. Well, it's, it, if you're it, just preaching to the choir, you're not going to change anybody's mind. Right. You know? I used to have these conversations with, um, and I, I wish I, he had lived uh, so I could get him on the show, but uh, because what he, having a conversation, August Wilson. And when, when you would talk to August, it was really, he always had a really interesting perspective that was completely his. Like I remember once, he said something about the Confederate flag. Now, August Wilson, you know, African-American playwright, big, important dude. And you think he'd have certain perspectives. And he he said uh, he said to me one day about the Confederate flag. He goes, I actually don't have a problem with the Confederate flag, which surprised me. I'm like, what? He goes, I don't have a problem with the Confederate flag. He goes, those people who fought under that flag uh, fought for something and died for something they believed in. And I don't have a problem with that. He goes, my problem is actually with the American flag and the things that have been done under it, under my name. He That bothered him more. Mm-hmm. And that's a perspective that was honest and true to him. And um, it wasn't anybody else's thing. It wasn't anybody else's idea. It wasn't. He didn't care what people thought he should think. Yeah. Right? He just, what he thought. He thought what he thought. And he also always had something to say kind of like what you're talking about he you talk about uh Chappelle you talk about Chris Rock August talked the same language he just didn't do comedy right but he spoke the same language and he was he was revealing his soul all the time you'd, you'd have a conversation with August uh, and then you would see his play and you'd go we had that conversation right <laughs> like he was saying things he believed like it's a very, especially his last play where I'm like, we, we talked about all this stuff. Like this was on his mind. He was writing the play. So who knows? You right. know? Like, cause he was living in that world of that. Yeah. thought. Yeah. 
So uh, that's probably, it's not like he took the things I said and put them in his play or took the things somebody else said and put them in his play. I think that's just where, yeah, where his mind was. But and he was, time was there, so he used you as a sounding board because that's, again, yeah. you do things you're interested in. Right. You know, and you go, it's like they say, write what you know. They don't say that for no reason. You know what I mean? Right, right. right. Because you don't know a, a time period or whatever doesn't mean you can't learn it, but the truths are what you know. Right. I mean, it's like, it's like, it doesn't have to be, you know, by like the, my favorite episode when I think about it of Star Trek, not the actual episode, but when I think about it. Okay. Is the, is the black and white guys. Right. And then the, the what? Right. How dumb it is when, don't you see he's black on the left side. And I'm right. Black, right. right. You're going yeah. like, That's so dumb. It's like little egg, big egg. Right. Like, yeah. You know, it yeah. just blew my mind as a whatever, you know, because I didn't watch it because I was, you know, but watching right. it, you just go, what? Yeah. That's, you know what I mean? And stuff like that. That's not, that's a truth. That's not a fact. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, go, yeah. That points it out to you. Oh, I can see. Because also all things are universal. And, and yeah. they say the more specific they are, the more real they are, the more, you know, the more yeah. universal. Because it may not be that tuna that that guy's eating. It may be that your, you know, the, that grandpa's eating. Your grandpa may have liked ham sandwiches, or right. You know I mean? It's the way he's talking to the thing that's what brings you into the universality of humans, right? Yeah. Or like in Dances with Wolves, remember that? Mm -hmm. And and the dude sitting and the Indian guy sitting in bed, and he pulls out his kid's doll. I don't remember, goes, oh, man. But it was the first time it, uh, Indians were treated like people on screen that I could right. think. You know right, I mean? sure. And it's also like we we're talking about too, how important representation is to see people like you on TV. Right. Like I told you, my mom knew every Italian on TV. Fanus <laughs> uh -huh. could point out every Greek guy on TV. Sure. So you make it more, open it up to more people to go, yeah, look at that's me on TV. Somebody like me is there is an important thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, I, I think it's, it's all just in one show, but it should be, you know, everywhere you could see, oh, look at that. I also think it's important. I was just talking about this yesterday. Um, it looks like we're going to have one of the writers from uh, Mary Tyler Moore, the Mary Tyler Moore show on, on this show. And uh, I hope it works out. seems like it's going. Uh, that's one of my favorite shows. Yeah. Uh, unbelievably well-written show. Um, I didn't understand until I was a little older, how many women were writing on that show, because usually the face of those shows, like it was, you know, James O. Brooks and, and Alan Burns, and so I thought, well, guys write this show, right? That's who you see. But, well, but, but what I did see were uh, funny women on the show, right? Uh, Mary had an important job on the show. And, and even though that was representation for, uh, I know Oprah was very inspired by the Mary Tyler Moore show to do, which because she was a producer on the news. I want to do what Mary does, right? Yeah. So she was seeing representation that way. But there's also something about a young boy seeing women in charge of things seeing yeah. right so it's not just the representation for that group it's also for other groups to go let's go that's normal yeah that's a thing it's a, it, it, that's the thing like, yeah that opens up a whole thing of i didn't know that was possible right you know what i mean like growing up i didn't think that show business was a possibility mm -hmm. how would i no one in my family was in show business no one we were crazy but we did it 
Right. You know what I mean? We just go this, well, what do we got to lose? You know, which is easier than if you got something to lose. Right. You know? yeah. Yeah. So you know, it's like just letting people know that this is a path you could take. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's just showing that that's a thing that happens and you show stories about, you know, again, well, man, pollution is gone because I don't see any more PSAs. When we were growing up, pollution was a problem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The water because the guy polluted. And what's the owl gave a hoot. Right. That doesn't mean it's not here, but it means it's out of the public consciousness because the right. stories aren't being shown of that. Right. You know? So it yeah. is that thing of like going, that's what you can do. That's a possibility because I've seen it. Right. You know? And also like people, it's, and they're not supposed to, it's supposed to, it's also, it's, it, movies are America's mythology. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because we don't have a mythology. So TV and movies are our mythology. And that doesn't mean that everybody has to act um, perfectly or be true to whatever, because beavers growing up, you know what I mean? Was my growing up, except my dad had 20 different jobs. You know what right. I mean? Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that was my truth. Right. That doesn't make it right or wrong, but that's a truth that you're presenting. You know right, what I mean? Right. And then and Roseanne was the first time I ever saw a house that looked like mine. Yeah. And uh, Family Ties was the first time I saw somebody eat ice cream out of a container. Huh. You know what I mean? And not being served in a bowl. Like right, we, yeah. We had a, just, it's those kind of little things that also make you feel you're connected with the world. Right. Well, I remember a story about Roseanne, speaking of Roseanne, when the show started. And she uh, she held up the show at one point because she's like, well, that's not how a mom moms don't. This is not how they operate. Right. She was very interested in telling the truth. And that's why it's show because it was so great. Yeah, it really was. And it was all this truth. It's interesting because I think um, uh, after all in the family, once Reagan became president, for some reason, everybody on TV got rich. Yeah, dynasty happened, and yeah, everybody on TV, everybody yeah. got rich, and that was normal. That everybody, right? And so it took until Roseanne for people to be regular people again and have regular jobs and worry about money in a real way. Um, it was several years before you know between blue collar, you know, regular working people kind of shows, right? And, no, and it all got swept away, and again became glitz and glamour, and we're going to redo the White House and. You know, I yeah. guess there's, there's value in that too. You know what I mean? But yeah, not well, mine. Right. There's, you know, it's like. But here's the interesting thing: if you look at Beaver, my life was not Beaver's life, right? I didn't have Beaver's life on Leave It to Beaver, and, but I will say, especially when it like first season, there are truths there that you know are truths. Yeah. Right, and they're truths about. Um, like the Eddie Haskell character we were talking about, right? Yeah. The guy who was one guy in front of the parents and another guy in front of the kids. Oh, that's a real guy. I don't have to be growing up in the suburbs. Right. I you don't have to be, that. right. I don't have to be white. I don't have to be in 1957. I don't have to be, that's a real truth, you know? Um, and so often when you're getting at a real, a real truth underneath, it doesn't even matter what the surface looks like. No, it doesn't matter if it's science fiction or it doesn't matter if it's anything. But again, if, you, if every story told a truth, their truth, everybody would be better off. Yeah. You know what I mean? It would be just a better place to live. Yeah. Know? It's like, and there's, there's episodes. Do you remember the episode of Leave it to Beaver where they're selling grit door to door? Yes. Yes. 
my God, and they're going to get this kick-ass projector. <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God, that kills me every time. <laughs> and he comes, he goes, I picked up that projector for you, boys, and it's this kick-ass 16-millimeter Bell and Howe projector. Well, they earned it. They really did a good job. And June goes to hang up his coat, and this crappy-ass package falls out, right. and it's a shitty oh, little right, projector. yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Ward went and bought him. Right. No projector. It was just like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) There were real things in it. You know, people focus on the fact that the woman wore a dress and pearls when she vacuumed or whatever. And it's like, yeah, okay, that surfaces. But it's also people go, people go, oh, Disney just painted a version of his movies where everything's great. Everybody's mom was murdered in a Disney movie. (laughs) (laughs) In every Disney movie, Bambi's mom is shot in front of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you doing? These are stories too. You know what I mean? Right. These These aren't the only thing that we're saying is true. Right. You know what I mean? Because then you go, no, there's, there's got to be room for everybody's stories. But that doesn't mean that you can't tell different stories. And that right. doesn't mean that, you know, it isn't about you because it's not you. Right, right. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I don't know anybody in the Empire. You know what yeah. I mean? I don't know Luke Skywalker. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, but it's good to see you once. It's good to relate. And, and also, it's any way you can relate to him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, that yeah. guy, it's the same things I like. That TV character's cool. You know what I mean? Oh, that guy's neat. That doesn't matter what they are. You you have to go, he's a universal person now. Hopefully. Right. Yeah. Well, they introduced something, uh, actually, I think in the movies they started bringing it in, in Star Trek Two, that Kirk, like, reads books. Like, mm-hmm. it's like he's not in the future in the, like, no, I'm reading a book, like a regular book. And the yeah. fact that he read books was like, oh, he's like us. He's just reading yeah. a book, you yeah. know, you know, yeah, uh, it's fantastic. You know, it's a small thing, but it actually grounded it in some strange way. Not everything is it's like, well, yeah. Why wouldn't people still read books? In the well, it's also time? like Tony Soprano having to take out the trash. Right. You know, it's like those kind of things is always a very pleasing push button for me of like people doing normal things, mundane things in yeah. the setting. Yeah, I think that those kinds of little things can be really important into grounding. It's like, oh, I can connect now. I can connect. Yeah. And it's it's something very human and it doesn't have anything to do with uh, when you are, you know, like, oh, that's from the 30s or that's from, there's stuff in Paper Moon that I go, that's a real thing. Even yeah. though it takes place yeah. in the 30s, I go, that's a real thing kids really do do that or whatever. Um, and speaking of the Andy Griffith show, I remember there's a story that Ron Howard tells about he was supposed to say something. He's a little kid, you know, on the show, a little kid. And he said, I don't think a kid would say it that way. And um, Andy said, well, how would a little kid say it? And then Ron Howard said it and he says, okay, we'll say it that way. And I guess Ron Howard was kind of stunned <laughs> and he's like, what's the matter? Let's go. And he's like, Oh, I, it's just the first idea you've ever taken of mine. And he's like, what's well, the first idea you've had that was any good. Right. Right. But, but, but I think what he was telling, what he was teaching a little Ron Howard was tell the truth. And, and he felt empowered. Yeah. Because right? also Andy Griffith is one of those people that I've never heard one bad story. No, not one. Yeah. And all of Hollywood, never one bad story about Andy Griffith. And also it's like Barney, you know, Don Knotts calls him, go, hey, because there were no time for sergeants to go. Right, yeah, they, yeah, they knew each other. I'm running a show about shit. Don't you think you need a deputy? Yeah. You know I do. And in the script, they wanted to make them all hayseed, like, because it was yeah. in the Thomas yeah. show. 
I'm the justice of the peace. Right. Yeah. Give that that funny line to to Don. You know what I mean? I don't need that. He'd like make it so he truly was. And there's beautiful shots of him looking at Barney, appreciative of him. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like George <laughs> said, I didn't live in a small town like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I didn't know. There was no Otis. There was no town drunk. There was no. Right. Me. There was no goober. You know what I mean? But that didn't mean it wasn't. It was about a human. I knew a guy who had certain traits of this guy and certain traits of that guy. And you wanted to be Andy because he tried to be good. Yeah. You no, know, he did. But again, he made mistakes. He yelled at, you know what I mean? Remember? Yeah. Mr. Chiggins or whatever, the fake telephone guy with the. Oh, no, it's uh, it's Mr. McBeavy. Mr. McBeavy. Yeah. yeah. Mr. McBeavy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He didn't believe Opie. Uh, It was really interesting because he came around and and said without proof and said, I know I've asked you to believe a lot of things that seemed like they were unbelievable. And I I have to believe you like it's a really great thing. And he's so happy when he meets Mr. McBeavy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's again, also it's just it's just truth. Yeah. There's also one where Opie runs the race. Do you remember that? And he loses. He runs a race and he wants this medal and he loses. And he's just awful about losing. And uh, Andy's talking to him. and He's like, look, Opie, you got to learn how to be a good loser. He's like, I already know how to do that. He goes, no, you don't know how to do that. He goes, you're going to have to learn how to take disappointment. There's a lot more coming up, right? You're going to have to learn how to do that. And it was a really interesting thing in the lesson of, first of all, if you want that, you got to work at it. You just can't get it because you want it. Um, You know, and, but that reaction, that kid reaction is a true reaction. I wanted a thing and I didn't get it. Um, But their interaction was so, uh, was so real. Um, Opie wasn't the perfect kid, yeah. right? You know, he was a great kid, but he wasn't a perfect kid. He but was a kid. Because he's human, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. It's also, I think that's what people too expect, like, even like Apple stock goes like this. You know what I mean? Right. There's, no, nothing goes like this. Right. You know what I mean? Even Tesla went down 30 bucks or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's like you, this is just as valid as this. Yeah. This is a lot easier, but what, something I read the other day about some guy's quote was, um, uh, something like, you know, well, how you become successful? Well, by doing successful things and wisdom. Where do you get the wisdom? From failing. Right, right, <laughs> like, right. Yeah. You have to fail. Babe Ruth struck out more than anybody. Right. You know what I mean? You, to switch to, to, you know, to become a thing, you have to, if you don't fail, you're not trying. Right. You don't make any mistakes, then you're not really doing anything new. You're not right. you're following what people say. And it's like, we got that. You right. have to expect, and you'd rather, like, you'd rather have the audience not get it. Right. Then people go, oh, ha, ha, you know, like tiny laughs. You'd rather have it die completely. At least you tried and you missed. <laughs> right, right, right. Because like the I, only time when you go, oh, this one's going to kill, you go, oh, this one, I don't know if they're going to like it or not. Because, you know what I mean? Those are the things. The glory is in the risk, right? Yeah. That's the, those are the big wins. When you've risked a lot, those are the bigger wins. Yeah. Right? Um, there's um, a story uh, that Art Tatum, the jazz musician, told about uh, Tommy Dorsey. And they were asking him, I think it's in Ken Burns' jazz documentary. And... Uh, they're not, not Artinum. They're talking to, uh, not Artinum. Who are they talking? It doesn't matter. Whoever they're talking to, Artie Shaw. That's who they're talking to, Artie Shaw. 
And Artie Shaw says uh, about Tommy Dorsey's band, he goes, he had a good band. He goes, but I never heard them make any mistakes. And what he was saying is they didn't try that hard. Right. They didn't try hard enough to make mistakes. They didn't reach very far. They were safe. Yeah, it was fine. It was a fine band. They didn't make any. I heard other musicians say that, too, about people. I think uh, there was a musician. I think it was Thelonious Monk was talking to Abby Lincoln. She was singing. And uh, he said, yeah, you, you can sing fine, but I never hear you make any mistakes. Uh, me, like, right. Seeing that as a virtue, making mistakes as a virtue. We don't yeah. really live in a culture like that. You know, which is sad. You know what I mean? Because that's what that's what everything is, is making mistakes. Again, are yeah. we not? But, but I, it's like they want, you know, the system wants you to be the same and not rock any boats. You know right. what I mean? And I don't know who's putting it. You know, when I was younger, I used to believe in the man or whatever. But it's like that's what is. And I think society must want that, too, of like people's sameness. Right. Like you make fun of things that are different. You know what I mean? You give yeah. things are different. You, you mock the guy when he's walking, you know, yeah. like the, the gorilla kids. But you, you can't make it so that you believe that. Right. You, know I mean? you got to go, I'm no, I want to say this thing. And it's like, you watch all this stuff of like, and you have to know that you live in a cycle of history. Right. You know, like somebody has to defend Harvey Weinstein in court. Why? Because that's the American system. Right. Everybody deserves, you know, people defended Russian spies. Right. They defended, you know, John Adams defended the, the people who oh, shot the, people in the right. massacre. Everybody deserves a defense and find them guilty or innocent. We can't throw away everything because right. then we become them. Right. Which is, again, we've been, it's been shown a million times, you know, if I can knock down all the trees in England to, to find the devil, well, then who would stop the wind? You know, right, like, right, right. Can't destroy everything. Just that's why the Miranda, the Miranda rights are there. That's why things are there. There's systems where you've got to go. We follow rules because why? Because we are civilized people and we want to keep our anger in check. Right. You know what I mean, it's like people go, wow, New York City's rough. And, and when you go to Europe, especially, mm -hmm. you go like, well, I'm just amazed it's not rougher. Right. I'm amazed that people can get along so well that I, you rarely see fights anymore in the street. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like different because it's COVID right. time. But right. it's like there's a, a lot of shitty things. Again, you go, the reason that we are also so guilty of stuff is because we, we said we were better than everybody else. Right. You know what I mean? We said we are taking your systems and we are putting in an ideal. And when we don't live up to that ideal, it makes you sad. But that doesn't, in my opinion, diminish the ideal. Right. Eisenhower said, you, you know, you can live 100 years in France and never be a Frenchman. Right. You live one day in America, you can become a citizen. Right. You know what I mean? It's like you are a citizen. And that's what's so great about why dads all our age love World War II, because it was clean and the path of people they drafted was everybody. Right. It wasn't Vietnam. It wasn't right. the Civil War. Nobody got paid to get out. No one right. had one unit, seven people who could translate Hebrew to English to Italian to German. You had 50 musicians. You had tax accounts. You had every, because you took a swath of America. Right. And you said, you people are now our citizen soldiers are going to go fight this war against these bad people. Right. That doesn't mean we're perfect. Right. But it means that there's an ideal that we should not stop trying to achieve.
Do you know? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So to, that's why yeah. the thing, like throwing it all out and going like these people were all evil. These people are all yes. These people did horrible things, but you 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 got to go. Let's fix that. Right. Yeah. By 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 demonizing people, it doesn't make it better. Like all of this stuff, like putting a black square on Instagram. What good yeah. did that do? Right. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. make people aware and talk about your again. It's the same storytelling. What story are you telling? Right. You have to make it so people go, oh wow, that would be a drag. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like I yeah. think that's what happened for um, when you saw that tape and you went, I, I don't want to live in a country that does this. Right. I want to make my country better. I right. want to live in a place where that doesn't happen. Right. And then, like we were talking about, suddenly your world eyes open up because your bubble is popped mm-hmm. and you go, oh my God, I never realized how bad it was. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how bad it was for you and you and you because I lived in water and right. I didn't see it. Right. Because I lived in a, in a glorious world of whiteness and maleness. So mm-hmm. none of that stuff touched me, but that doesn't mean I can't empathize with it. Right. And can't try to make it better. I'm not right. saying, I, you know I mean? I'm not going to take the forefront and go, Hey, I know better than you. Right. right. You know what I mean? I got this, well, I yeah. got this little man. You know what I mean? But it's like, you go, no, I want to be again. It's, it's the kindness. It all yeah. boils down to kindness and right. kindness is empathy and kindness is forgiveness and kindness is, Oh, I wouldn't want to be treated like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't think, and I do believe no one is free till everyone is free. Mm-hmm. I really believe that in my heart. And it's like, that's just a truism that we were taught when you were a kid, when you, right. you know what I mean? Like that guy's not there, but for the grace of God, go you. Right. I never liked making fun of headshots that people would send in those, because that's you, that's me. Right. That's all of us. That's everyone. Right. And you being here is not a matter that he's better than you or you're better than him. You're lucky to have come to this place. Right. You know, yes, you have skills. Yes, you have this. Yes, you have that. But I know funnier people than me sitting on their couches in Des Moines. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, it's, there's a lot. You have to just go, wow, I got to share my blessing and, and try to make people's through kindness and an act of good deeds and things like that. And just being a light in the world as opposed to a, a darkness, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Which isn't comedy, but it is comedy. You know? Of course it is. I yeah. mean, uh, I think Chaplin was a really good example of that yeah. right? in his comedy. Chaplin grew up very poor. His mom um, in and out of institution, himself and his brother in the workhouse you right. know, all the time, which was awful. Yeah, um, which was pretty much Dickens' workhouse. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, in those circumstances and, and, and connected with the regular, with regular people, empathized with regular people, even when he was a multimillionaire. Yeah. He made, he, and he, he knew that about himself and he knew that those people have dignity. It's actually one of the things um, about him playing uh, a drunk, as they used to call people who were alcoholics. <laughs> you don't really call them a drunk really anymore. Arthur, Arthur <laughs> was the last time you could laugh at a drunk. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Arthur uh, too went, no. no. <laughs> I can't laugh at a drunk anymore. Foster Brooks is not. <laughs> Again, Foster Brooks is funny. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, Foster Brooks, that's, uh, yeah. I don't know if people would find him funny like now. I know, funny. but, but to, to us. Yes. 
Yeah. Because we are, we were, yeah, we didn't know any better. Yeah. Foster Brooks, for people who don't know, just played a guy who was drunk. Oh, that's what he did. That was <laughs> his comedy. Right. <laughs> like, like, that's what he did. That was it. That, he didn't do anything else. No, he did, was did he? Was he in a movie? Is he? Oh, I no. Was, I only saw him on Dean Martin Road. That's, uh, that's the only place I saw him, too. <laughs> and he was always drunk. That was his, that was his thing. Oh, the shtick, uh, yeah. Yeah. But, um, uh, I keep forgetting what I'm saying. Or Chaplin being a drunk. Oh, yeah. Chaplin's key was that he said when people are drunk, they always try to maintain their dignity. So he said that he he was always brushing himself and straightening his. He's mm-hmm. like, he's like, that's the truth of being drunk. Right? right. Anybody who plays a drunk well will say drunks are trying very hard not to be drunk. And also, it is that thing of it's whenever it's like whenever you have a crushing thing on you, whether it be drunk or you're high or, you know, what I mean, something that affects yeah. you or you're poor or you're downtrodden or you're you. The only thing you have is your dignity. Right. You know I mean? The only thing that you can go, I'm still around here and doing this is your dignity. And right. it's like. That's why, again, you can uh, you can your humor can take people down or it can lift people up. Right. And you can, the, yeah, you have and, a choice. And I think that what Chaplin always did. And when you write when you read about what he said about comedy, too, he basically said, you don't punch down, you know, you don't. Right. 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 But um, he always tried to give people their dignity. And it's yeah. like it didn't matter how poor they were. It didn't matter. They all he always tried to give them their humanity and their dignity. Um and that's what he was saying, right? These people deserve to be respected just because well, also, they're people. What year did he shoot The Great Dictator? Uh, it, was, it was before we were in the war. Yeah. So it was yeah. like he saw this and went, oh, this guy's bad. And yeah. Still, and, and also, though, I think the main reason he hated him so much, mm-hmm. he stole his mustache. Okay. Yeah. And he went, I thought that was the reason, but I'm sure in my heart that he went, that motherfucker took my fucking mustache and he's doing, then he went and he's doing this and this and this. Yeah. That's my thing. Oh no. He took my fucking, she stole my bit. (laughs) Went up in hardcore. But I think that, yeah, he, he was the first guy to take him down comedically. Yeah. You know, um, who cares about this? Yeah. He was the first guy to take him down. And is um, that the first time he speaks in movies? Yeah, it might be. Because he gets like a speech in that movie. Like, City Lights is like in the 30s, right? Yeah, and he's still, still like, yeah. There's no... Taking silent movies and they're still smash hits. Yeah. Nope. God yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's early. If they're 31 or 30. Yeah, but it's in the... When they... When sound, sound, yeah. Fully there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but he didn't want to, you know... He has a great essay... I have where he talks about how talkies won't last. And it's actually a makes real, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And in fact, Mary Pickford said something really interesting about talkies. She says, if you look at the history of art, it generally gets more refined. It starts complicated and gets more refined. She said it would have made a lot more sense if we had started with talkies and gone to silence. Right. Yeah. Like that's the thing that people forget now too, is that, it is primarily a visual medium. Oh yeah, people forget that all the time. They forget that all the time. You're going like, no, you don't need to say that. You can show it. 
much yeah. better, means something more to people because they see what you're doing as opposed to, he was kind, that guy was kind to that child the other day. Doesn't mean as much. It's, you can't get left alone anymore. No, I know. And that's where, that's where it's like, also, who's going to sit in their room for hours and be Eddie Van Halen and practice the guitar or practice magic right. when, yeah. you know, but, but maybe it's, I think things are going, I do believe things are going back to tactile. I think people do want handmade, touchable things. Yeah. As opposed to everything being. I think that's probably true. I think that's probably true. Uh, I I hope so too. But it's interesting. I was talking to somebody. He's like, you know, you used to call, I was telling my niece. I'm like, you know, you used to call people. And if they weren't home, that was it. Like the phone would ring and ring and ring. Right. Or if they were on the phone. You let it ring before you you hung up too. You know what I mean? You you, you let it ring a long time. Oh yeah, you did. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. So like 15, 20 times. Yeah. <laughs> you go, okay, apparently they're not home or whatever. And that well, was that. How about this? Even this, like, um, so you, you, kids, you would just meet people? <laughs> yeah, you'd go, I'm going to meet you at this bar at 7 o'clock, and they'd be like a half hour later. You just wait around for them. <laughs> Which, again, now sounds so foreign. Right. You're out without your phone for two seconds. That's why I got to get, I got to put this down and like, I have to get in the habit of going like, I'm just setting it down. Nothing's going to, in two hours, I'm going to set down this phone. I'm just going to work. And then I'll see it when I'm back. Cause it eats, it's just a time suck. Yeah, it is. It's weird. All these devices, they told us when we were young, we're going to be time saving devices. And then we were going to have, we're going to be a paperless society. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's more paper and there's less time because now you, you can work 24 hours a day, essentially. No, you, because can, you And you always have to be, if you don't hear from somebody, you think they're sick or you did something wrong. Right. It's true. Yeah. Well, I think part of thinking that you did something wrong is uh, being an imaginative person. I have a friend. If, if I text him or write him or call him and he doesn't, if it doesn't right away, get back. To me, I'm like, what did I do? I pissed him off. I pissed, you know, I think, also, it's the brokenness of show business. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. broken in you that you need to, people yeah. have to applaud when you show up to work. Right. So yeah. To realize that you're, again, you're not, you think, oh, I'm the only person who doesn't have an ego. I'm the only person who's perfect. <laughs> you know, everybody. Why would you want to be in a job that was so much rejection? You know what I mean? Why? Yeah. Oh, I want to, I have zero chance, point oh 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 percent chance of even making enough to eat. Where do I sign? <laughs> be turned down at every turn and told I'm no good at every stop. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a hard, it's a harder business than people. I think if people really knew, they wouldn't do it. I think that's yeah. unless they had to do it, which is well, that's that's also another crazy thing. Yeah, sometimes you have to do it. Yeah, um, so there's a there, especially like performers. They have to get up and perform, or they go crazy. Yeah, there's um, there's a story. Of, you may know this story about a dancer. She's in a dance class. She's a kid. And uh, her dance teacher tells her, pulls her aside and said, you're never going to be a dancer. You don't have it. And you should find something else to do. And so the girl does. She she finds something else to do. She does it. Um, and she runs into her teacher somewhere uh, as an adult. She runs into her teacher. and She goes, how did you know I would never be a dancer? And the teacher says, because when I told you, you believed me. Right. Right. That, and that's and that's true. Like, if somebody has to do something, you cannot stop them. You well, can't stop. You either find a way or you find an excuse. Right. Yeah. Those are the only two paths you take. 
Yeah, you that's know? true. And sometimes you go, you know what? I don't want it that bad. Yeah. Like stand up. I did stand up a few times. I go, this is not for me. I don't have that thing in me. That makes you have to do it. I want to be on stage in front of people alone and, and tell them jokes. It just, there's, there's something about being with people is more safe and more fun. Then if you die, you don't care. Right. Yeah. You're, you're good. Then you're making this guy laugh. Right. You know I mean? If they're not, they're not enjoying you're making the comics in the back of the room laugh. Yeah. It's not, it's not as scary. Yeah. I, um, I remember almost everybody at the ranch seemed to play the guitar. Yeah. I did. I did not. And I remember people trying to teach me how to play the guitar. And I remember after doing it a few times, I was like, I'm like, well, my fingers hurt. They go, well, you'll get calluses. And that'll like, oh, that, and I can't make my finger do that. And they're like, well, after a while, you'll be able to. And I realized, oh, I don't want to learn how to play the guitar. I want to know how to play the guitar, which is different. Yeah. I I know Kung Fu. You want to be Matrix so you can play the guitar instantly. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go through the process. Right. And so I, I always tell people about this particular craft. I say, well, you have to love it enough to be bad at it. Yeah, that's true. That, that is true. It's like nobody's instantly good. You know, uh, people have said to me, well, you have a gift for it. I'm like, you don't know how, how many hours I spent doing it. It's all hours. It's just hours. It's like having a gift for six pack abs. It's like, no, yeah. it's all hours. It's just reps. Yeah. That's all it is. And that's I, the only thing you can teach because you can't teach the other stuff. No. Saying, you can only teach. Here's, here's the things you should do to streamline your chance of success. Yeah. Which is hard work, setting up a schedule, doing it, working harder than anybody else at it, being serious, sticking to your time. You know what I mean? Just knowing that's what you do and then having fun doing other things so you have something to talk about. Yeah. Because well says, you know, all that happens is, What's this movie about? It's a writer who has writer's block. Well, I don't want to hear about that. Right, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, you're not working hard enough. You yeah. know, that's, yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Yeah. What should this film be about? You know, filmmakers making it like everybody like does Dana, that. Well, Dana pointed out about the, the first Star Wars remake um, that everything was meetings because that was George Lucas's life then. He's running meeting of the Jedi meeting of the other people, meeting of the <laughs> right. yeah, meeting of the Senate. There's just all it was a series of meetings <laughs> right. strung together to make a movie. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was his life. You're right. Um, you yeah. right? What, no, you know what I mean? And you don't realize that you're in it because <laughs> I am, what is water? You are in it. You don't realize you're in it until, you know, the amazing grace sets up and you go, oh, shit, I yeah. didn't know that was the case. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you have to forgive yourself for not knowing. Right. Yeah. Because how could you know? You know what I mean? You just got to go, oh, no, now. And it's like I read about this dude. I told you that story that I read that guy who presented uh, slavery to it was Witherstone. His name was something like that to uh-huh. the British Parliament. Uh-huh. And because uh, they were saying, um, no, it's better for these people. Uh-huh. They were actually saying that this yeah, is yeah, people used to say we that. took them away from this horrible life they had and we give them religion and better. Yeah, they didn't have Christianity. Yeah. And so this dude was just hanging out and he just had, he talked to the dude who wrote Amazing Grace. Oh, yeah. And he had John, a, John, John Newton. Yeah, John Newton. Yeah. It, yeah, this guy, I never heard of this other guy. We should find out his name. But so he goes to, uh, I think it was William Pitt. I can't remember. It's the younger, the elder. And he goes, I, 
I have to do this. I have to find out because this is evil. I know it might ruin my position and take down your government. And he goes, well, then you have to do it. If it's in your heart, you have to do it. Yeah. And so he did all of this stuff and presented to parliament this six hour mind blowing thing. Wow. And at the end he said, you may not choose to do anything about this, but from now on, you cannot say you did not know. Huh. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah. I went, that was like, one. Well, <laughs> 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 why do I not know about, why am I only hearing about this now? Right. You know? And it's that the thing of, and also it's the heroes of the story are also uh, this, the Newton guy who helped him and, and yeah. going, yeah, you can do that. Right. He is, is ba- he's a valid player too. And people don't realize that too. like everybody's going like, you know, it's, they never, people don't realize how hard it is to leave your people. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. How, Hard it is for, for it, I was raised a yellow dog Democrat. Yeah. You know what I mean? So how hard it would be for me to switch parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? And then these people switch parties to help them and they go, why were you with us in the beginning? Wait, just shut up, you dumb shit. Right. Yeah. They're helping you now. Take yeah. their help and be thankful. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like yeah. it's those kind of things of people putting these giant moral imperatives on people that you should have been, you know, you should have known from the beginning that this was wrong. Well, right. I guess you're Christ. I'm just a human. Right. <laughs> right, right. And you're right. I shouldn't have. I, now you should deride me for coming to see the light at this right. late date because I wasn't smart like you. So, you know what I mean? It's like so foolish. Yeah. It's, don't, don't turn away allies. Don't turn away people who are going to help you because they were wrong in the past. And I, I understand if you're fake atoning, like, right, sure. Whatever, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Hey, but now Obama's a president. I'm a, what's sad I did all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, I see. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like people make people, again, that's kindness and forgiveness. And, right. You know what I mean? And, and, and well, there's this idea um, of being um, hard on institutions and soft, soft on people. Right. Right. Like, that's, oh, that makes sense to me. Yeah, that's and that, because that's and then you the soft people can change the hard institution. Right. You know what I mean? Again, if but if you throw them out and then you don't forgive and you don't know how how are they supposed to know they're raised in this awful world mm-hmm. where fear and hate and whatever they which they think is great and real. Right. Well, how can they be to, you know what I mean? That's like, yeah. well, it's, it's an interesting thing when you talk about, for instance, you know, if you look at any of the pictures of the spectacle lynchings, people used to bring their kids. Yeah. And the reason they brought their kids was to desensitize them to the idea that these deaths mattered. Right. Right. That was the whole point. Right. So when again, not to say that's not reprehensible. It is reprehensible. Yeah, but no, you know, I'm saying, no, I'm not, not to say that that's not reprehensible. Right, yes. Awful, but you got to go, you, you have to go, what in, what you have to understand is what made them think that was okay. Right. That's the thing you have to change. Like well, you said, the thing that uh, made them think it was okay was that they went to lynchings when they were kids. Right. 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 That that was, I actually read a, an account um, you know, the, there's these all these uh, slave narratives that they collected. The Library of Congress was like, hey, there's still slaves alive, like in the 
I don't know, I think in the 20s they started doing this. And so they went and interviewed a bunch of slaves. They set a bunch of writers up and they interviewed all these slaves. So these narratives exist in the Library of Congress and there's books about it and stuff, but these interviews. And I remember one woman who was a slave talking about how she didn't address uh, a little kid, a white little kid in the proper manner. She treated the kid like a kid. And so she had to be punished. So she was whipped, but it wasn't, it was the kid that was made to whip her. And the kid had to whip her and the kid didn't want to. Right. And the kid, right, had to do it until he drew blood because that was teaching the institution of slavery, teaching both people their positions. Exactly. Because you always hear about that in the thing of like the only, the only thing slavery is the only people that are treated worse, the, only, the people who are treated worse by slavery are the blacks and the second people are the whites because right. they, you ruin these people because they are, you're going like, it's like you're in, you're in the concentration camps. You're, you are the guard. Right. You know I mean? You're going like, it's, and you have to, I think, understand what they're, like you're saying, they're brought up in this system. That doesn't mean they can't go this system is awful. Oh, sure. And I'm, and I'm free of it. We liberals live in a gray world. Mm-hmm. Right. We live in a black and white world. Things are right or wrong. You're with me or against me. Right. And we're like going like, oh, man, but wait. That's why those Lincoln ads, the Lincoln. Um, oh, yeah. The Lincoln, are yeah. Because they're not nuanced. They're like, right. pow, pow, pow. Right, right. Because like, what was George Bush talking about? It's written behind him. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. It's like, but we're like, like, we have to say, no, we have to talk to everybody and we have to make sure that, that this point is nuanced and finally put and like, no, just hit them. Just right. go up and say it and just pow. Yeah. Tell them what you said. Say what you said. Tell them what is it? Tell them what you're going to say. Yeah. 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 <laughs> tell yeah. Them what you told yeah. Them. yeah. You know, but we're like all like about, you know, like, like defund the police to mm-hmm. me is just a dumb phrase. Right. Reallocate the fund. <laughs> right, right, like, right, like, right. Oh, you just, why would you say that when you, when people have to go, well, that's not what that means, actually. <laughs> why would you say, it, call it defund the police? Defund the police means zero money for any police forces anywhere. No, not quite. What? No, that's what it means. I don't think that's what it means. <laughs> You know, and they're like, somebody was thinking up some 5% tax. And then instead of calling it the billionaire tax, mm-hmm. they called it the 5% tax. And you go like, don't call it the 5%. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, we're so nuanced and gray about stuff that we have to get a little more. There are right and wrong. Right. There is empirical right. And there's a two and two equals four. Right. And I think I, I, August I, Wilson, if he was alive now, would have different opinions about the Confederate flag because at that point in time, it was a relic of history. Yes, that's now true. Living now, now it's a, now it's yes. We're fighting I, it again. It's like, are you kidding me? I no. Well, I, you know, I have a Nazis and Confederates again. I have a theory about the Civil War that I've had for years, which it was uncivil. You always say that. Yes, but I also say it was a ceasefire. That yeah. it was not, it, it's like Korea. It's like North and South Korea. It's like World War One. Yeah, it's a it's ceasefire. A ceasefire for 20 years. Yeah. yeah. And that every now and then it flares up. Like whenever there's, right, every now and then you got to have the National Guard come and help kids go to school. Or every now and then, like, 
it's a ceasefire. And I think that that war is still happening. Yeah, I do. And I hope that knock wood that we can find again, like the guy, I don't know who said it first, but my favorite Confederate flag was their last one. And you should be punished because you were a traitor. Yeah. And also, all of that stuff of like, we've talked about this before too. If there's a statue, if there's a plaque in West Point, that mm-hmm. said uh, Robert E. Lee taught here and came up with the theory of blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. To me, that's okay. Right. They put up at the time that Robert E. Lee was at the head of West Point and they sure. did it. That's yeah. okay with me. But if you put that up in 1920, a big statue of him <laughs> to right. say, the people, we didn't lose this war. You're still. <laughs> But then I have a problem with it. Right, sure. If if there's a prop, if there was a, if the, if the Lincoln, if if the Washington uh, or the the, the Jefferson Memorial. Yeah. Said he owned 50 slaves. (laughs) (laughs) Memorial was four. And I go, well, no, I don't. don't, Right, right. George Washington owned more slaves than anybody. (laughs) Right. Then tear that statue down. (laughs) Right. I mean, right. again, the mythology of perfection of, you know, it's like, it's always awful, but people don't see what they're living in. Do right. you know what I mean? And if you see it, and like the guy said, now that you know, you can never say you didn't know. Right. Then at that point, you move on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Then you go, mm-hmm. okay, you're just fucked up. You yeah. are an evil person because, you know, it's like people go, it's the it's like we just took slavery and exported it to foreign countries so kids make our tennis shoes. Right. That's okay, so that we don't have to pay a union guy money. <laughs> right. Or right. lady, you know, or igloo or whatever. They just we don't want to pay people a an, a living wage so that they can make because if they get six hundred bucks a week, they might not want to go back to work. Well, if if six if you can live on six hundred dollars a week in New York City, God bless you. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Right. Like, that's yeah. enough. And then these guys are making, you know, Jeff Bezos just made $13 billion today. Don't you just started. go, yeah. you just go there. It's like if you smush the middle class, so no, there's no, you know, and then it's like, you just go, where, what are you doing? You can't even Henry Ford, the racist bigoted Henry Ford wanted his people to make a living wage. I don't get it. Yeah. Hey, uh, we've talked probably longer than we were supposed to, but I always enjoy talking to you. I always and enjoy talking to you, my friend. Yeah. Is there anything you want to leave on? I do. The thing that helped me the most that I wish I would have had when I was starting out was that War of Art book by Stephen Pressfield, because it really would have made my life a lot easier. It's got all the precepts that I think will help you navigate yourself in a world that has no rules, mm-hmm. you know, because no one's going to tell you to write that thing. It's not like school. You're, there's no, you know, when you get paid to write stuff, it's, it's like, Hey man, if you could do stuff, it's like, Hey man, I don't like doing this. That's why it's hard. I, I can work hard on something I love. Everybody can work hard on something they love. You've got to learn how to work hard on something you don't love. And right. that's what it is. It's turning it into a craft. Yeah. And using muscle memory, and I, I, you, you can't run a marathon tomorrow. Right. You can't just decide, I'm going to run a marathon. And it's the same with creating. You can't just, you have to develop the muscles. You have to put the time in, in a, in a, 
a way that doesn't cripple you. Like it crippled me. I couldn't do anything but think about work. And then that would make me not be able to write or not be able to think about funny stuff. Cause sure. I was, you know, so you'd work a finite period a day and that period can grow each day. Sure. But start from simple and just do it, close it, live, right. come back. You'll have more to write about and you'll live a better and happier life. That's perfect. That's and that, perfect. That's the, <laughs> Thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate it. Right, All right. I will talk to you. All right. Good luck. God Thanks, bless. Man. Stay safe. Thanks for watching. You are a storyteller, part of the Co-Loop Podcast Network. If you have any questions or if there's a topic you'd like us to cover, leave a comment below or email us at hello at beliefagency.com. 